one of the lines that we got permission to add, so it was essentially an improvised line, actually made it in one of the trailers. Carlos hands Jill a radio and is like, we can use this to communicate. And I just remember being like, did he just tell me what a radio is? Like, <laughs> we were like, can she say something back? Because I'm pretty sure he just mansplained a radio. Like, I know it's important, but also, I know what a radio is. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't been able to sleep this week. You gotta stay strong. <laughs> Don't give in to fear out there, right? How did this right, happen? Calm down, buddy. Calm down. Send reinforcements. No. Wait. Hurry up. Get. Oh. Get. Ah. Help me. Ah. Ah. Hey, I'm Nicole Tompkins, Jill Valentine in the Resident Evil 3 remake, and you're listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors found. I'd rather starve to death in here. Be eaten by one of those undead monsters! We're both gonna die. Wait, don't shoot! Get down! I lost all my men because of her! All is lost. Cries of agony. Spurs. Unity breeds power. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast, celebrating the world of survival horror. I'm Joe White, the actor for Chris Redfield in Resident Evil Remake, about 10,000 years ago. On tonight's episode, also joining me from the Crimson Head team, we have the Oracle Dragon. Hello, everyone. Mr. George Trevor. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. And we have Sonny Bauer. Reporting in. Hello, everybody. So our very special star guest joining us from the spectacular remake of Resident Evil 3 that we are all so rapidly waiting for. She portrayed a true Resident Evil icon. We're so delighted to have her here with us. It's Nicole Tompkins. Hello, hello. Yay. (laughs) It's great to be here, guys. Wonderful to have you. How are you faring in this, uh, this very strange time that we're going through? I am staying inside, just like everyone else. We are quarantined and hanging out. After voicing someone in a pandemic, did you ever think you'd actually be living through one? You know, I cannot say that I did, nor that the timing would be so specific. I feel far less productive than Jill Valentine. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, get to this thing called an interview and find out a little bit more about what makes Jill Valentine slash Nicole Tompkins tick. (laughs) So, Nicole, if I may call you Nicole... Yes, of course. As opposed to Miss Tompkins or Miss Valentine. Uh, I mean, I'll respond to any of them. <laughs> We've seen recently that you've been streaming your favorite video games on Twitch for the first time. And it's great to see a fellow gamer step into such a beloved character's shoes. We would love to know if you were a fan of Resident Evil when you first auditioned for the role. And if you knew you were auditioning for such an iconic part in Capcom's survival horror classic. 
I was familiar with the Resident Evil series, clearly. It's iconic, and uh, I think one of the most famous game series of all time, or some people would argue. So when the uh, like initial auditions came through, they were using code names because clearly it was like a very secret project. But we were given the inside scoop on what the game was, and I was pretty clear from very first audition that I was going to be reading for Jill. So I knew who she was, and I definitely got to walk in having the understanding of her history and also what she means to the fan base and the world of video games. How much has your personal swagger increased since you've done this amazing, iconic role of Jill Valentine? You know, that- I think it depends on the day. Man, I can I can pull out the Jill swagger, but I have to give her all the credit. Because <laughs> uh, in real life, admittedly, at times, I'm quite the dork, and she's never not totally composed. <laughs> that endears you to us all the more because we're all dorks as well. <laughs> there you go. Have you ever played uh, any of the previous games, whether as Jill or not? I have watched much of the previous games. I have not myself played them because, full disclosure, I'm a total wimp when it comes to jump scares and terrifying <laughs> events. Um, so unlike Jill, monsters are terrifying. Uh, so no, I've seen the original games and I haven't played through the original RE3 was back in the 90s, so right. no, I did not oh, yeah. play it, but I've definitely watched it. All right. It's so important because it's so easy for things to get leaked nowadays that we keep it as under wraps as possible when they're in the process of making the game. And I super respect that. And I was just I had the benefit of a fantastic creative team that when I walked in, we had character art. We knew what it was and uh, we used code names, but we, (laughs) you know, underlying knew what we were doing. (laughs) Can you share with us what the code names were? I honestly don't even know if I could remember. I would probably have to go look it up. (laughs) (laughs) They were just generic names that were unrelated to anything. It just was a very standard, like, ah, first name. Gotcha. Just something to throw people off. Yeah. 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 They they don't connect it to anything because the the point is to not be able to guess. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. When I auditioned, actually, there was no audition at all. My wife was working at, at Sound Deluxe. I went in one day to visit my wife and the casting director was there and they said, uh, we're looking to cast this voice in this game. I had no idea what Resident, never even heard of Resident Evil. And they put me in the booth and I, I did the thing and they gave me the part. And I so I did a couple of voiceover sessions and walked away, never expecting it to be this thing that, that you're now a part of, this world that uh, all of our fans, all of the people who follow Resident Evil, that this has become literally an important part of some people's lives. It's got such a big fan base. I never realized it until I got a phone call from Paul out of the blue saying, would you <laughs> would you like to, to be interviewed for this uh, thing? I um, still can't believe I had the audacity to phone phone you. I don't know how I got your number. Yeah, I, apolo- <laughs> I still feel like I need, owe you an apology every time you say that. <laughs> I'm eternally grateful for it. It gave me a little slice of, to know that something that I did in the past, a, a project that I worked on, has had this much of an impact on these on this many people. Absolutely. There's something so rewarding about getting to put yourself, your art, your talent behind something that people are 
one, maybe already fans of, and two, just incredibly receptive and just as excited as you are. So there's something inherently wonderful about like Resident Evil 3 coming out, knowing that so many people are already behind Jill. They're already excited about this iteration of what she looks like and, and how she sounds and how she moves yeah. and kind of what we poured into it because... I wanted to give respect to the the performances that came before and the iterations that we've seen before to have this like nostalgic quality as someone that you still recognize as Jill Valentine while moving the character forward. And I feel like that's something we were really able to do in this iteration um, is, you know, put myself behind it and work with a fantastic creative team to kind of bring forward this next version of who Jill Valentine is and what she represents. Welcome to the family. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. And I'll tell you what, uh, based on uh, just the demo and the trailers that have been coming out, the fan reaction, they definitely think that Jill Valentine is back. So that's that's definitely down to you and the creative team. So <laughs> so thank you for bringing Jill back. <laughs> it was time for her to her to come forward. It was it was time for her to step forward and 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 take her moment and get some respect for the badass that she is. Jill, over here, Brad. You okay? What was that thing? Damn to find though. But right now it's got a hard on for the only two stars left in town. You and me. I'm not sticking around. Just look around you. The longer we wait, the more screwed we are. God, this all happened so fast. I don't know. How could this many people be infected? Brad! Here they come! In here! Door behind you, go! Don't think about it. We're gonna make a run for it. Come on, Jill. We know how this ends. No, I don't. Are we still a team? Always. Then do me a favor. Go! We really felt that with this being such a beloved character, you just stepped into her shoes so masterfully. And as I'm sure you know, you know, gamers can be very critical, particularly with these types of characters that, that you know, that we've grown to love over the years. And we're all hearing fantastic things about your performance. Thank you so much. I, I super appreciate that. I, I think when you kind of jump in to do something of this level or, or uh, a character that people already know, I found myself not actually spending much time um, thinking about like how how would the fans receive this or or how would you know how how should Jill be portrayed like I didn't spend much time focusing on that because I was lucky to be surrounded by a team that I knew was super passionate about creating the best game possible and there's so many people amazing talents involved in making something like this come mm -hmm. to life that I knew I would be kept in check. We, have, we had a fantastic director, Steve Knebley, who did our cinematics direction on the mocap stage and all of our performance capture. So he, he had us in check on, on what we were up to. So that allowed me the freedom to really just invest in the story, just invest in the narrative, you know, create 
this person that is reacting to where she is and what she's doing based on this backstory that I was lucky to have some knowledge of so I didn't have to create her backstory. It's there. We know who she is. We know where she's from. And uh, then I just got to play, just jump into what this person feels like, how she moves, how she works. She's a professional. She's, you know, a STARS member, so she's elite. She's really good at what she does, but she's also one of the youngest members of the STARS team, and she's in a really rough situation. And so it was important to me to, like, make this woman as strong as she is. She freaking never doesn't get back up. Good luck, everyone. Um, um, that's brilliant. You're echoing my sentiments exactly. These are normal people put into a horrific situation. They're not superheroes. Absolutely. And, and man, it freaking hurts, man. If Nemesis grabs you with a tentacle, it's going to hurt. Like, let's be real about it. And what? He's got a flamethrower now? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a bit new for this one. <laughs> Where does this guy shop? Where does he get this stuff? I don't know. I've been to Toys R Us. They don't have flamethrowers. <laughs> well, when Joe was saying welcome to the family, I just said, is he going to punch her in the face? Oh, like, Harry Seven. Like Harry yeah. Seven. Well, we should really firstly call that. That's the reference to Harry Seven. I right. just imagine an audio cue with Jack saying, "Welcome to the family." And we just hear Jill's audio. Ah! And of course, Nemi opens the door. Stores. She's all right. She's out cold. Oh. All right. I guess my job here is done then. Uh, all done here. <laughs> all right. Take it away with question two then. All right. The question is simple. It was fun to see you posting your Twitter a poll for gamers to choose which video game you could play. The choices included Animal Crossing and Breath of the Wild. Will the fans be seeing more from you on about your Twitch channel and maybe a Resident Evil choice in your next poll? <laughs> I have been enjoying hopping on Twitch and streaming a little bit. It is true. Uh, definitely new to the streaming world, but I'm having fun while we're all stuck inside quarantine. And I think it is very likely that you oh, might right. see a little Resident Evil. Excellent. Um, <laughs> I cannot promise how well I will escape <laughs> zombies or whether or not I'll play on easy mode. But <laughs> I I will do my best to use my freaking dodge function. I will definitely make fun of myself the whole way through. And uh, excited to talk about the performances as as we play through the game. <laughs> well, that, that's quite all right. Because just to relate to that, I saw uh, quite a few years ago uh, that Jimmy Fallon had Pierce Brosnan on uh, his talk show, and he actually had versed Pierce Brosnan in GoldenEye. And Pierce Brosnan was horrible at playing the game. Uh, so, so that was fun. That was fun to watch. So, if, if this happens, you already did it for real. So it's all good. Yeah. Look, here's the thing, guys. I mean, everything that you see, I already did. So, I exactly. mean, I can't use the controller in a way that makes her look as badass as we intended. That is not on me, is it? <laughs> no, I, I think you're. I think you're cleared of all responsibility on that one. Okay. Phew. And who knows? I might jump out and surprise you. What if I am like a speedrunner of this game? That's not true. Oh, I won't. I'll have way too much exploring every little plant and box. <laughs> you also mocap, so full production. Yeah, I did the full facial performance. So uh, all of the cutscenes that you did, we did live and we did together. And I think that really shows in the final product. We were super immersed in kind of the environments and the, the relationships between characters. And so I got to work directly with these fantastic actors. We were all in Japan for a minute there, uh, having fun in Raccoon City. Very nice. nice. Very nice. 
Oh, so you record you recorded in Japan. It records in many different areas, but we did spend some time in Japan together, which was very, very fun. Oh, that must have been wonderful. Very, very cool. I love Japan and Japanese culture in general. So it's a dream come true to, to spend any time there. If you've never been, definitely go. Joe, I can imagine you just sitting there through gritted teeth. Capcom didn't fly me out to Japan in 2001. <laughs> no, my experience was was entirely different. It was, uh, I spent, uh, I think, a total of four or five days in a very small recording studio in Hollywood. That was the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, it's a much more scaled back experience. And I was, I was voicing a character that had already been animated. There were moments in the recording studio when they would put up a, a video screen there's the shot where Chris is fighting the plant. At one point, the plant grabs him and swings him around the room. I had to match my screaming sounds and impact sounds to the video because it had already been animated. Right. Totally. We spend time in the booth as well, um, doing a lot of the in-game uh, sounds. So when player has control, a lot of that's all recorded in the booth versus on the stage because that's animations that have already happened um, because you're now controlling the character. Sure. Um, and the way video games have been that are made, uh, just the whole industry is constantly changing and growing so quickly. So from 2002 to to 2020 is a very different experience. And how we make games (laughs) that line between uh game and movie is like you know gets uh it fades on its way man it's blurring yes okay so we touched we did touch on this a bit uh once you knew knew you were going to be the next jill valentine having to keep that secret in especially as a fellow gamer must have been a tough gig did you find yourself playing through some of the previous games perhaps checking out jill's previous incarnations Yes. When I found out that I was going to play Jill, of course, I was incredibly, incredibly excited. And it was lots of just being quiet and not saying anything. (laughs) But that's just part of uh, what it means to me in the video game industry, because it all matters so much and everyone cares so much. So it's it's really wonderful that people are that passionate about what we're making. I definitely did look through uh, Jill's previous incarnations because I wanted to pay respect to where this character came from. But then once we kind of got into it and started nailing down her sound and her physicality sort of let that all go and just let her live through me and in whatever experiences she was facing so a lot of me kind of comes through in that as well as the amazing creative team that came together to tweak and decide how do we want jill to show up in this resident evil 3 remake in 2020 and i think we made something that i'm proud of sir are you all right stay back don't come any closer Come on, there's a helicopter waiting to take you to safety. What safety? I'm not going out there! The parking garage isn't far, I can The only there. safe place is in here! Hey! Hey, easy lady, I got you. Who are you? What are you doing? James Carlos. I'm saving you. Come on. Let's get you someplace safe. I think we're in the clear. Hope so. We've been bringing survivors here. Here where? My guys have converted some subway cars into a shelter. Let's go. Hey, what do you know about that monster? Nothing. I've never seen anything like it. But it's no zombie. It knows what it wants and won't stop till it gets it. Don't you like that in a man? No, thanks. He's all yours. I promise you're in good hands. 
I'm with the Umbrella Biohazard Countermeasure Service. UBCS for short. Are you kidding me? You guys are the ones who caused all of this! Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? Look, we're just here to help people. What's wrong with Umbrella? What's wrong with Umbrella? Oh my god. Your company is responsible for infecting everyone! Yeah. Look, I don't know anything about all that. Okay, your portrayal of Jill was immense, and I can't stress that enough. <laughs> you brought so many emotions to your performance, which resonate so much just from watching the cutscenes. This really helps to immerse us into the narrative when we play at home, deeply feeling what Jill has to endure and overcome. Thank you, on behalf of all the fans, for such a wonderful performance. Oh. <laughs> was it in any way intimidating? knowing what a hugely popular, such an iconic role you were undertaking, and not just in the Resident Evil series. Jill Valentine is known as a signature character across the whole video game genre. I definitely was aware of the responsibility I was stepping into with a character that's important to so many people. That said, I think I did a really good job, and the people around me did a really good job, of keeping me pretty protected from kind of this outside version of what Jill should be, and that really allowed us to be creative and do what we do best. We're actors, we're storytellers, and at the end of the day, she's a super badass, highly trained young woman who's in a really rough situation and doing the very best that she can and I think that reads and that's kind of how we approached it and we went for that and figured out you know what qualities show through I think we developed more of her humor and wit as she speaks with Carlos and the <laughs> yes. different people that she interacts with and that's something I really enjoyed kind of bringing to the forefront as we as we worked through the scenes and and adjusted to to figure out what what would it really feel like in this moment and I think that naturalism and excitement really plays in the final version and i hope everyone feels the same <laughs> oh wow i mean i know i certainly do yeah, absolutely we've been wanting that from jill since 2009 the last <laughs> we saw her well we saw her in revelations in 2012 but there hasn't been a, a widely positive reception to to the performance in that unfortunately she kind of came across as sort of like just sort of stoic kind of vanilla according to the fans but to bring her back with like sort of the sass and the and the humor and the wit the dynamic uh, uh, qualities of her it's great to see it again it's something that the fans have been missing for quite some time oh i'm so glad you think so yeah absolutely he was infected he might have been infected <laughs> oh stars this soft no wonder so many of you dead and what are you ubcs killing your own people he would have turned there's your sense of self-preservation. Heidi Anderson Swan, our dear friend who portrayed Jill in Resident Evil Remake, and of course, Joe, you know very well. It was interesting. She told us how fascinated she was that male gamers would take on the role of a protagonist like Jill Valentine, with gender not affecting their immersion into the game. The gaming community has come a long way since the late 1970s. And those no, days of, oh, really? <laughs> and those days of Pong <laughs> and Space Invaders. Hey, don't um, knock Pong. Don't knock Pong. Nobody's in, knocking Pong, Joe. <laughs> in terms of female gamers being comfortable and confident not to hide their gender, also, of course, a reflection of society as a whole. As a gamer yourself, what are your experience and thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, the role of women in entertainment is, in general, uh, women in any workplace, such a, such a subject with everything that's been going on politically. And I think it's really beautiful to bring Jill back, because I think many people look at her as one of those first characters, where it's yes. like, oh, men can play as a woman? No. <laughs> and I think at this point, uh, hopefully, we're kind of past understanding, of course, people enjoy <laughs> games, male, female, whatever gender um because we like to play we like stories we like to be active we like to to experience worlds and societies that we would never experience in real life and that's just our our human nature is is to tell stories and experience stories uh regardless of male female we've had so many more amazing games since then with fantastic female roles and the Horizon Zero Dawns that sold super well and, and didn't have like a previous history but had a strong female as the main player, um, playable character. Have you played The Last of Us? <laughs> I know a lot of the people in The Last of Us and so I've played parts of it and I've watched almost all of it because the performances are so strong and They're fantastic. Exactly right. Um, yes, and, and that's another game that's really, you know, set in a new bar for narrative and a new bar for for storytelling which is something from an actor's perspective that i come from more of the performance side of, of appreciating stories in games i'm all about the cutscenes. i'm all about who voiced this Ooh, that's good you know <laughs> when i'm playing i'll, I'll yeah. mimic people when they talk or say things and i'll respond back to them so as far as like female gamers they're all over the place and and i don't i don't think they're in the shadows honestly anymore and if they are please let your face shine because we're we're all out here having a grand time. Here's a good question, uh, statement and question. Just relationship with Carlos is legendary amongst the fans within the Resident Evil community. But other gamers outside of this game cite Leon and Claire as the series' signature couple. But Resident Evil fans have always embraced as universally and beloved Carlos and Jill's development relationship. They became more close to each other. That quite didn't get off to a good start. But did you know that Jill smacks Carlos in the original? <laughs> <laughs> I did know that. <laughs> I always hoped that it would come back because it's like, oh, pff, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to enjoy that a bit too much, Aaron. <laughs> I like that scene. It's really impactful, you know, because Carlos is like freaking out and Jill's like, I, I have enough of this. Whack. What was it like to perform through that development? And how closely did you work with Carlos's actor, Jeff Shine? Jeff is admittedly someone I adore so much, but don't let Carlos know. Um, <laughs> don't don't let him know. Don't let it stoke his ego. But I think Jeff is going to be fantastic and good in any role that he takes on, and he never has a bad take. So I love working with Jeff. Paired with incredible talent, he also has the most <laughs> wicked sense of humor. So we had a <laughs> real blast working um, on this together. We we were in Japan together. We've we've done many many sessions together, and I, I consider him uh, a wonderful colleague and friend. It's always incredible to hear that the actors get on well, uh, as oh. opposed to like, oh, we have to pretend to be in love, but we hate each other in real no. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I, I I felt like the team of actors and the the cinematics crew that kind of came together, we, we were a big family. We were having so much fun. And there's just nothing like being on a motion capture stage with a room full of people that are all excited to be there. Just imagine going to work and every single person is stoked to be working on what we're all 
all working on together, right? No. It's just such a magical yeah. environment. That's not something that happens every day. No, you you're must... creating something with people that are fans of the thing that they're creating already. So we just had a blast, all of the actors and I did. And and again, I think Jeff is the perfect person for Carlos and us working together was super fun because I think a lot of that humor and banter and playfulness that's in the script really yes. came to life with Definitely. the way that we spoke to each other. I know one of the one of the lines that we got permission to add, so it was essentially an improvised line that then Capcom confirms and is like, yes, let's do it. Actually made it in one of the trailers, which is, oh, wow. is Carlos hands Jill a radio and is like, we can use this to communicate. And originally <laughs> she like didn't say anything back. And I just remember being like, did he just tell me what a radio is? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And so, so with the director and, and Jeff, we were like, can she say something back? Because I'm pretty sure he just mansplained a radio. Like, I know it's important, but also I know what a radio is. That's really you know? That look you give him in the cutscene, that withering look, as you say, is fantastic. Totally. So that was that was like a great, you know, example of like added added moment, added humor that that just worked. And uh, again, we just had such a such a complete team of people from game design side and animation side and cinematics just really all coming together to make something that we're proud of. And because we know we're making something we're proud of, we know the fans hopefully will love it just as much as we do. All right. I'm in. But I am on their side, not yours. Oh, hey. It's cool. We all want the same thing. Thank you, Jill. All right, super cop. Here you go. We can use this to stay in contact. I know what a radio is. I love hearing stories like that. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear. I am really jealous of your experience because my experience with the game was so insular and so individual. There was no other team. There was no one to share the experience with. And I, I really am kind of jealous of your experience. Well, that happens based on whatever projects you're on. This just happened to be a, a wonderful example of us getting to all work together. Yeah, because when you guys are actually seeing each other and reading what you're going to say, you can naturally feel what the other one's going to do. So you match up with them and be more expressive or more toned down or be like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I know. Get like right. a serious moment and you guys can shift quickly to being a very depressing moment to a sad one, which is perfect because it's more natural. Absolutely. I think anytime you get an opportunity to work against an, another actor, you're always going to have the benefit of how exciting that feels, how spontaneous that can feel. But in the in the voiceover world and in the video game world, we're, we're also trained. We, we work in booths by ourselves all the time, and we work to make that as organic and, and spontaneous as possible as well. And that's just kind of part of the job. So we, yeah. we take it as we as we get it and enjoy it both ways. And that kind of leads into our next question. Did you have a favorite highlight moment across your performances, Jill Valentine? The pace and tone of your scenes differ greatly. You call on a wide range of emotions during your battle through Raccoon City. Oh my gosh. I think picking a highlight is just unfair because if you say to someone, you're Jill Valentine, you best believe all of Jill Valentine is a highlight. <laughs> Admittedly, the fantastic Neil Newbon, who is now a dear friend of mine, plays both of my enemies, Nikolai and Nemesis. And oh. Oh. because he was playing, doing the motion capture for both of those, we had a whole lot of fun. We would not have had it any <laughs> other way. I was never not in a scene where 
Neil and I weren't giving each other eyes either as <laughs> a giant monster stars eating tentacle person um, <laughs> or as a crazy Russian who hates me. <laughs> he secretly yeah, likes you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the secret to all of it. Nemesis clearly just has a huge crush. We always mean to the girls that we like. He's so misunderstood. <laughs> What he's doing is the equivalent of a schoolboy socking the girl that he likes in the shoulder. He's just trying to trying to get her. Bingo. I mean, and, and you'll hear it as you play. She has so many responses to Nemesis from flirtation to frustration to downright <laughs> fury. Uh, so, so you get the whole range of experiencing Nemesis never leaving her alone. <laughs> That's incredible. I might edit this out in the edit. I just remembered when, yeah, in primary school, the girl that I just adored, I threw a, a tennis ball at her. Um, it was just like the only thing I could think of to get her attention. Next nope. step, flamethrower. Right. There you go. <laughs> Carlos, respond. Yeah, what's up? We didn't make it. The train derailed. Derailed? Was anyone hurt? No, everybody's dead. Mihail, everybody. Nikolai left us to die. Wait, what? It's bad! Jill! Jill, what happened? Jill, come in! Interest. You've done me a big favor, Mr. Nicole, now that you can finally announce to the world that you are the new Jill Valentine and in such a significant, important main title installment into the series, how does that feel both professionally and as a fellow gamer? It's amazing. You you can't take on such an iconic, exciting, awesome female role like this that has such um such a fan base already that are are just as excited and receptive about it and not be just so grateful to be there cuz basically I get to nerd out like everyone else. I get to play the game <laughs> like everyone else and and just be excited to see this come to life uh, having had the really wonderful experience of, you know, performing it all the way through and and really just being immersed in the environment with an incredible team thanks to capcom and a fantastic cast and crew that's amazing because uh jill apparently across the fan base is still one of the two top fan favorites so it's it's very interesting that it took so long to bring her back what can I say? It was time. Yeah, it was definitely time to bring her back for sure. And, and the fans are going to be so grateful for this. Absolutely. Okay, Nicole, what does the role of Jill Valentine mean to you? And do you have a message for all of your fans in the Resident Evil community? Taking on the role of Jill just absolutely means the world. I've had such a joy bringing her to life. And as far as the amazing fan base that surrounds the Resident Evil world, thank you so much for inviting me into the family and being just as excited as I am to see Jill come back in 2020. Yay. Yay! And I and I and I believe you'll be uh, welcome to an open arms. I hope you come back for more Jill work. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> more Jill is never a bad thing. <laughs> we will of course post links in our podcast description to all your social media platforms where your fans can find you, and also where they can find your other performances, both in video games, televisions, and films. Favorites of ours, as a Survivor horror fans, is your role in American Horror Story, and of course your leading roles in the film Antrium, the deadliest film ever made. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, come hang out on social media. I'm I'm pretty active there, and I love seeing fan art and nerding out over things and being excited with everyone. So as you play, come on over and say hello. Uh, I think I'll be streaming as well. So if you want to come join me on Twitch, let's do it. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, absolutely, you can check out my IMDb for a bunch of other movies that I have done. If you'd like to see my face as well uh, on camera, we definitely have quite a few in the in the thriller genre so please enjoy and uh, i look forward to seeing you online nicole thank you so much thank you so very very much for joining us it was wonderful for you to respond so generously to us when we called you out in the blue as i often do joe's evidence of that today um, <laughs> just thank you so very very much you were fantastic in this remake and i know i speak on all the fans and our listeners when i, when I say we're, we're so grateful for the way that you've so you know sincerely and readily engaged with the community Oh, thank you so much. I really, it's such a pleasure coming on and uh, I'll spend any time hanging out and being excited about uh, the Resident Evil universe. So, <laughs> Nicole, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't want to hold you up, but it was it was uh, very nice of you to do this. So nice to meet you and uh, we'll see you around in the community. Nicole, thank you for joining us. It was wonderful having you here to talk to us. You shared a lot of interesting stuff with us and made us laugh. And I'm sure the community will be always after you for more information that you can share with us. And thank you for telling us where we can look for you make sure you stream as much as you can definitely so nice to meet you guys i'll see you online thank you so much thank you we'll see you in your next twitch stream <laughs> yes sir you absolutely will Yay. beautiful thank, thank you. you so much <laughs> amazing bravo absolutely oh, thanks amazing. guys it's been such a pleasure you guys have a good rest of your day stay safe everyone that was cool that was fantastic we got to hang out with jill Valentine. We did. We did. That was great. Now, that Chris, great. will you be letting your other Jill Valentine know? <laughs> you know, that's a conundrum, and I, I don't have the time to, to consider the, the ramifications of, of uh, what would happen if I told the old Jill that I had a new Jill. <laughs> <laughs> This broadcast is brought to you by Raccoon City Water Works, providing natural power to Raccoon City. Welcome back to the Crimson Head Elder podcast and for our extensive review of the Resident Evil 3 remake, before we dissect the game as if it were one of Umbrella's insidious experiments. The team will give a brief insight into what the original Resident Evil 3 meant to them. We start off with our very special guest reviewer, a hugely popular contributor to the Resident Evil community. She can be found on YouTube, where she is renowned for covering the series with her own review and retrospective videos, enjoyed by almost a quarter of a million subscribers. That's a lot of folks. It's Susie the Sphere Hunter. Welcome, Susie, and tell us, what does Resident Evil 3 mean to you? So, what RE3 means to me? I actually made a really long video about the original game on my YouTube channel. I've said it multiple times before, RE3 99, as I like to call it, is my second favorite video game of all time. The first remake of Resident Evil 1 is my, like, my first favorite video game. RE3 being like the continuation of RE1 with Jill Valentine growing as a character and facing off against Nemesis was not only was it just awesome as like a survival horror gameplay experience, but it was also like really inspiring to me when I was younger because that character goes through so much and like has to 
deal with this formidable foe, this like insane creature. And she comes out on top, like in the end, like just absolutely destroying him. And like it it's just so awesome, you know, like it like it's got it's got so much replayability. It's got great characters, a great story, a great iconic, like super iconic monster. The game means a lot to me. I don't know if you guys have <laughs> gathered that from all of this. Absolutely, yeah. yes, definitely. RE3 is big for me. You know, it's what's interesting to me is um, my perspective. I did this thing a long time ago, and then completely forgot about it for years, for decades. And it wasn't until Paul called me and brought me back in and made me aware that people cared, that the Resident Evil lineage had continued and that there were more games. And these games did not affect my childhood. I, I didn't grow up with these games. And so they, they didn't have the same kind of forming impact on my life in, in terms of inspiring me or characters that I looked up to. or yeah. And it's always fascinating to me to hear people talk about how much the games mean to them because of when they came to the games in in their lives. You know, people who came to these games at a young age revere them, their places in history, in these people's minds. Just like, for me, books that I read. You know, Hobbiton is a real place in my mind somewhere. <laughs> Raccoon City is a real place in, in these people's minds. Not I'm not saying that people are delusional and that they believe that Raccoon City actually exists. What I'm saying is that the environments that were created in these games actually have an emotional effect on people. It's wonderful to hear because there are other things in my life that have that effect on me. There are, there is music, there are plays, there are movies, there are certainly books that live in my mind the same way that these games uh, live for people who are younger than I am. I'm always quite jealous of the fans that play these games at a particularly young age yeah. <laughs> and, and how, how much terror <laughs> they experience. <laughs> Interesting hearing you talk about the emotional connection. And I think that's also what connects us as fans, because just listening to Susie talk about how the remake is her favorite game and then Resident Evil 3 is her second, uh, that's the same for me. And there may be differing reasons, but it's like it, it connects a community together when a, a game that's very special to me and I kind of connected on it emotionally because of the, the place I was in emotionally and what was going on around my life. I kind of connected with some of the tragedy in the files and obviously the George oh, Trevor story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was quite shocked by graphic melancholy and sadness. In uh -huh. And then obviously that goes hand in hand with the atmosphere of the Spencer Mansion. Yeah. But just listening to Susie as another fan talk about how that's also a very special game for her as well. It's just interesting hearing that, you know, other people around the world, that, that it has a similar emotional impact with them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like RE3 especially, because, you know, I'm from the big city, and it's a game about, you know, surviving the big city, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a very, it's very um, relevant to that, to living in, like, a big city environment where, like, you know, you can never trust people and, like, oh, what's this guy really want from me? And why is he following me? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Nemesis. That's where I live. That's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Makes so you're sense. saying Brooklyn is full of zombies, is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. When I was younger, it was way worse than it is now. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What it means to us. Hmm. Oh, let's see. A lot of good memories. Love the story. Love the branchy path. All that stuff. And it's always good because you never know what to expect when you play it. Yes, it's very true. There's a lot of uh, um, randomized paths and a lot of... Uh, it's not a very linear type game. Uh, especially in the opening sections. You really had to think when you played that game, because it's like, okay, you got to do this, 
when you're a little kid, of course, you're like, okay, this is going to be a little bit difficult, but I can figure it out. I know <laughs> if I can do this, I can do this. I can do it! <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely empowering. You know, you don't... I've worked on video games, and I, I don't know that, that the makers really understand the emotional impact that these games have on the psychological impact that these games have on people. I know that like, there's some puzzles with some certain games that when you're a little kid, you really have to rack your brain around it because even with adults, they have to try and think it out too. But when you're a little kid and you figure it out, it's like, holy crap, I'm smarter than an adult. Ask Artie what I went through trying to figure out that stupid chess puzzle in RE2. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I kept pinging Sonny saying, I can't figure this out, man. You gotta help me. I still wake up in cold sweats having nightmares about the water treatment puzzle in, in RE3. <laughs> <laughs> On a game mechanic wise, I think it just took everything that was great about RE2 and improved upon it. I found Nemesis just the most wonderful enemy and, and really far more fear than uh, Mr. X in, in 2. Yeah. And again, in, yeah, questioning why is there, do I find more replayability in 3 than than two when obviously you've got the the different paths with, with leon and claire the atmosphere the soundtrack one thing that always worried me when the when the series changed from pre-rendered backgrounds because i just loved just the carnage and just the detail that you get in the original of, of three and that was my concern that whether you know they'd be able to portray that in the in this remake you've, you've got the, the, the cop cars piled <clears> on top of cigarette machines piled on top of bar stools that really helps to immerse you in the game like Susie, I, I place Remake with your performance, Joe, as, as my favourite. And 3 comes after that. Jill Valentine particularly, as Susie says, the continuation from the mansion. Maybe that's why I, I connected with, with, with that character a little bit more than Leon and Claire. Yeah, it, it's a very special game for me. And so I was a little bit worried and had trepidation about, about this remake when I heard that there was going to be one. This was the first game I was actually actively watching commercials for that had not been released yet. And mind you, I was probably 10 or 11 years old when this was happening. I, I remember just being like terrified and excited at the same time because I had already watched a friend play the first two when I was like, you know, like the year before, or a couple years before. So exciting to, to see like, you know, the trailer with like the, the ominous voice, like, you know, the most terrifying and it's it's in your blood, you know. And then you see the nemesis, you see the nemesis dropping down, you know, and, and uh, Brad screaming, you know, and everything like that. And it, and, it, and, it, and it cuts away, and you see him on the poster, like at the end, Resident Evil Three Nemesis, like coming soon, you know, it's stuff like that. It's just uh, I, I could just remember the rush being that young, and and I was way too young to be enjoying games like this. Obviously, you know, this is when. You know, they he's had really that... trying to make us feel old, isn't he, Joe? <laughs> yeah. He's really rubbing it in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but um, with Resident Evil Three, just the opening alone, you know, with the helicopters flying, you know, above the city and and all the zombies just attacking, like you know, everybody. It's like you're bringing the whole, you're bringing this to the whole of like the community of this city now. This is no longer a Spencer Mansion isolated incident. This is no longer somewhere like far out, disconnected from everything. Now everybody has to like, you know, deal with this problem. How's it going to, you know, how's it going to go? The Return of Jill Valentine appealed to me because I had seen the first game first and I knew that character and I, and I had seen a majority of her scenario. I love the stars team. So to see that a monster, you know, whose sole purpose is to destroy the stars members actively coming after this, this new character, I had much more connection with that than even re2 which i which i had already loved 
the urgency, like I just love the urgency of, of being pushed through the city and having to get away and just escaping. But this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with people who played the originals when they were young. They have a, a certain type of graphic memory of playing these games. So when they see those original games, that texture, that environment, that atmosphere, that ambiance takes them back to that young age. When something is truly nostalgic, a certain part of your brain returns to that time. You feel all of those sensations that you felt when you were younger. It's like when you hear an album that you have that you loved as uh, as a teenager and you haven't heard it in in 20 years and y'all you hear that album it brings you back to all those moments in time all those uh experiences that you were having when you were young even at my age now i'm i'm dropping into these to the remakes you know i'd never played re2 i'd never played re3 but i love these games so much and the connection that i feel with them is almost a connection of these are people that i should have known that people that i should have been there to protect because i did the voice of chris I have a, a personal relationship, not in an insane psycho way. People are out there going, this guy's nuts. He thinks he's really Chris Redfield. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is I feel a similar connection to these characters. I'm proud when I see Jill do something because I feel like Jill is that Jill and Chris had a real special relationship and, and still do. These games mean more to us on a deep psychological level than just something that we did to to waste time or get a, a cheap thrill out of. Part of you really takes in these environments and these and the ambiance and the danger and the and the love of the characters. These people become real to you and you care about. Them. I care about Jill playing RE3 right now. I'm like, yeah, that's my girl. You know? <laughs> a lot of pe- a lot of people feel the same way you do, Joe. Yeah, for sure. So, Susie, what did you think when you heard that there was going to be this remake? I heard rumblings, rumors <laughs> in the back street of downtown Raccoon City that there was going to be an <laughs> RE3 remake shortly after I played RE2. Like that, that sort of talk was going around. And I didn't know whether to believe the rumors or not, but I was definitely excited when I, I heard them. I was hearing a lot of interesting things and all of this kind of stuff. And when we finally got a reveal trailer, I was really happy. It was probably like one of the most happy days of my life because it really felt like we were going to get that 1999 game again, like the RE2 remake. And it was genuinely, I was so excited. Like I, I made a couple videos about it, analyzing the very first trailer and like piecing things together. I was so excited. And I was kind of tempering my expectations, though, because so much of RE3 is of its time. It's sort of a game that you could only make in 1999 with all of the random elements and just the amount of encounters that the characters can have and like that nemesis can have like you can do one thing go back talk to this guy and then when you get to this point in the game like nemesis will be on the roof with a rocket launcher or like if you didn't do any of that stuff like he won't be there for like an hour like you know like he won't be there for like an hour's worth of gameplay i already had the idea in my head that that stuff wasn't going to happen but i was still like really really excited to play the game I heard about it for so long, and when it finally got announced, I was ecstatic, to say the least. When I first found out, it was mostly just those screenshots that was released, which was a big, oh no, why did they release it? And then I was thinking, well, if they've been working on it, surely they actually took the feedback from what they were saying from the remake of 2. 
and people were like hoping and praying, please be like the original. Please give us the branching paths, the interaction with objects, the puzzles, and stuff like that. And of course, I ignored most of the rumors and stuff, what people were saying about it. And all I knew was just the screenshots, and then all of a sudden Capcom's like, oh, we're going to be releasing it soon. And I thought, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. No, don't release it so soon. You still have time to work on it. Give us a good game. <laughs> to me, it felt like they were being pressured to release. Everybody was going ham, like, oh, give us the game. Release it now. And I thought maybe that was pressuring Capcom to release it too soon. What do you think Capcom's reason is for re-releasing these? Is it is it strictly because the fans are requesting it? Or do you think it's a money grab? The reason that Disney remakes every film that they make is to make money off of a pre-existing franchise? Personally, I think it's probably the mixture of all that because these games came, back, came out in the 90s and the graphics weren't the best back then. Of course, they also had the limitations of stuff because they couldn't sure. put everything in. And now right. with today's technology, they can do whatever they want. They can fit all the stuff in it that wasn't in the games before. And bringing it back, it's like, oh, people loved the original game, Resident Evil. We made it into a remake, and people still loved it. And so they re-released it again you know, a few years ago, and everybody still says the remake was their favorite. So Capcom probably thought, why don't we remake 2 and 3, since those two were classics and people love them too. Maybe we'll get some extra money out of that for people to come back to the original stories. But they kind of didn't follow what the original stories were like a little bit, because... We only have, like, what, one branch, one path to follow throughout the games. Capcom is very, you know, they, they care a lot about what the fans want, and they, they, they are aware of what people like us, like, what, like, the content that we make. I could say confidently that a lot of Capcom marketing people, Capcom developers in Japan, like, they pay attention to all of our channels and follow everyone, have their, their finger on the pulse of, like, what is interesting. Hey, Take interest in Resident Evil Shade's story. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's fan fiction. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> you never because know. Hasn't that been one of the criticisms that the Silent Hill community level at Konami, that they're, they're quite detached from what the fans want? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, to, a, yes, most, most to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. In, in previous years, Konami was a little bit more... Uh, open to the idea of like fan feedback and just being interested in what fans want but not not in recent years a few years ago they released a trailer for silent hill 2 but it was a remake of it updated graphics and everything the hype of that seeing that everybody was going crazy until the very end of the trailer or whatever it was they showed it that they made it for a slot machine oh yeah, yeah the pachinkos yeah. yep Everybody uh, was going insane. How could you do this to the fan base? How dare you betray us? You made us think you're remastering the game, and you made it into a slot machine. Everybody was just upset, and Konami don't care. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I live in I live in Vegas, and there's a Konami building here because, like, you know, they're very into that, like slot machines and casino gaming. And whenever I see the giant Konami logo, I get happy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Konami. And then, like, I remember why they're here. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, Konami. yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like instant <laughs> happiness and disappointment. There's been criticism of those Silent Hill remasters. And so, yeah, Capcom were going to have to, as with two, completely, you know, rebuild the game. I was a little concerned because parts of Resident Evil 2, the remake, leave me a little cold. 
I love the idea of being lost in the city and not knowing where to go and finding an item quite soon that you won't necessarily need until much later on in the game, uh, which was always my problems with, with RE4 and RE5. So I, I was a little bit concerned, but as, as like the Oracle Dragon pointed out, yeah, I was nervous, concerned, but hopeful. I had also heard, you know, the, the rumors surfacing. I tried not to think too hard about it, but I thought the idea of it might be appealing because we had had the remake of 2. Uh, why not bring Resident Evil 3 to the to the modern-day console so that, so that it's accessible to, uh, you know, a lot more fans? And, uh, and I was cautiously optimistic. Like most of everybody here, they, they hold the game, uh, the original game, in such a high regard. When I saw the first trailer, I, I got really excited because it's showing the first-person perspective of Jill in her apartment, which was already something that seemed like it was cut from the original game, as she's just thrown right out of the apartment. So so seeing the, you know, the opening with uh, Jill being pursued by the nemesis in her apartment and just trying to get out and, you know, going down the fire escape to get to another floor, thinking like, oh, okay, I got I got away from him. Then he crashes through the floor right in front of her, and, you know, okay, got to find another way out. And then it ends. The trailer ends with Jill diving out of the apartment. That is the exact intro of the original game. And it was such a, like, a, sort of like a bridging of, like, you know, the two points there. And then you see it like, you know, pandemonium going on throughout the city. You know, we get our first glimpse of Brad Vickers. He looks great. He's not just on the poster anymore. He's, you know, he's right there in the, in the flesh. And, and then uh, he dies. <laughs> we'll get to that. But, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's just, uh, you know, they, they, like, you know, seeing the UBCS and I'm a big Mikhail fan. So, you know, seeing him on screen, uh, you know, realized again in, in uh, the RE engine. Gotta say I was, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic, but I was much more hyped that I thought I was going to be. Well, that's actually a good place to go around the panel and talk about what we thought about the opening scenes. The intro of this game is, like, mind-blowing, and I absolutely love it. First of all, oh my god, there's an FMV opening cutscene? Is this the 90s? Like, what's happening? I thought that was really interesting. I, I think it set the tone, like, right away, like, with the music and just, like, the constant umbrella, umbrella, umbrella. One of my problems with RE2R from last year was that it was so disconnected. It felt like from Resident Evil. So when you got to like the later portions of that game and then Umbrella started to show up, it was like, oh yeah, this is a Resident Evil game. With RE3R, it's like right out of the gate, you're playing Resident Evil. The apartment scenes were just like, you know, stellar. The amount of personality they give to Jill, just right off the bat, like you're able to explore in first person, see all of this detail. There's a bulletin board with all of these pictures on it. And there are two pictures of people that look strikingly similar to Claire and Chris. This is what I want. Like, this is exactly what I need, you know, right now. And there's just so much buildup in that apartment. There's so many files that talk about the mansion incident, talk about Jill's investigations into Umbrella. You get a brand letter actually he seems to care about jill and you know all this stuff and he's checking on her it's incredible and i thought introducing nemesis right away was perfect for this type of game for reimagining re3 because in the original it's just sort of her apartment's on fire and that's it here it's like she has a legitimate reason you see the reason it's not just oh my apartment's on fire very clear from the outset yeah Yeah, i thought i thought the entire apartment sequence was just amazing. I loved it. I gotta uh, tell you, I had a little bit of an anxiety attack. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, if this is the pace of the game, if the whole game is like this, yeah. I'm not going to be able to... I'm already freaked out by it. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, and yeah. just like with the the nightmare that Jill has, like yes. that, you could glean a lot of info from that. She's having a PTSD nightmare of exactly. her turning yeah. into a zombie. It's like this is perfect. Like all of this is so good. Thank you for saying PTSD because yes, you nailed something there. I imagine that on some small level, people who play these games do suffer from some kind of a PTSD experience. You know. <laughs> It gives integrity, not just to the game, but to the character, because the feeling that these are superheroes. And so from one tragedy to the next, they're not going to be affected. I just loved the fact that, yeah, of course, I mean, my word, she's just come out of the Spencer mansion. There's going to be emotional turmoil from that and kickback. There are things throughout peppered throughout the game that point back to the Spencer mansion events that we'll talk about later. It's all just like perfect you know like it works too so well from a character progression standpoint for this game because she is quite vulnerable like running from nemesis and he's just throwing her around breaking things and she's like she's caught off guard in like the worst possible way and like that's such a perfect picture to paint right away to see yeah. what happens later absolutely yeah, yeah. she reacts when he uh, kicks her against the wall how she like quickly looks up at him in that brief moment you can feel like she's uncertain what is this? Is this a man or is this a monster attack? Yeah. Because she thought that was all behind her, but now she's facing a new type of tyrant who's aiming to kill her. Yeah. What we were experiencing in the apartment, I thought was short of we were going to get like flashes of that, like the mansion incident in you know in the RE engine. I, I was, are we going to see something here? Like it was so vivid, just seeing the PTSD. I mean, there's pills sprawled out on her nightstand. Did you see the cases of, of beer in the fridge? Like that's too much beer. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not having a good time. Two months later, it's so vivid, like the the picture it painted and the files about the mansion incident, the investigation, like Susie was saying. God, I love Brad's characterization. The idea that, like, you know, he he felt bad for what he did and and for keeping his head down and asked for forgiveness. It's just, yeah. it, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 incredible. The the idea of trying to stay as a team. Ah, oh, man, <laughs> I, I I can't, I can't. It's awesome. The things that I just absolutely adored about this intro is that it kind of almost it's like the spiritual successor to the original. You know, in the original, you're just thrown out of that building, you know, straight into the action. It almost felt like you'd missed a part. It's like the 2020 version of that in terms of all the actual technical advantages that they have at their hands, Capcom. But they didn't kind of lose that spirit of just throwing you straight into the action. Up until this game, I think probably the, the first Bioshock game was one of my favorite all-time introductions into a game, the way it shows you that that world. I spent a good half an hour in this apartment. The respect for the mansion incident through Jill's PTSD. Yeah. Um, just wonderful. As you come out and you just see the streets and the fire and just the carnage, which is, this is the thing that you got in the pre-rendered backgrounds, but I was worried wouldn't be reinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. But it, it has been, and... I don't want to be sensationalist, but if it's not the favourite now, it's going to be in my top three favourite openings of, of, of all games. But I wanted to ask, just a little bit concerned as to whether during that, that those early Nemesis pursuit up until the point that you meet Carlos, whether it was more like, almost that it was on the rails, whether I was kind of on like a uh, a carousel ride rather than actually in a game where if, mm. I was too slow, if I was too slow, that Nemesis would be able to kill me in those sections. It definitely has... Uh that modern game design that is you know disappointing for how amazing that intro is it is very like linear and like straightforward there's a little bit of exploration in those streets where um i'm not sure if any of you guys found it but if you when brad runs around the corner right before that barricade collapses you can actually find nemesis's pod 
Yes. Yeah, that's one of the things that I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You could call. investigate that. Brad's phone call to Jill. To me, I think he saw Nemesis drop from the sky. Oh, yeah. Out of that and said stars and head to her apartment. That's why he was so frantically calling her because he knew where it was going. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Our little wow. chicken heart's starting to grow a heart. <laughs> I I love the re- I love the redemption of Brad Vickers in this game. Even before the game was coming out, I was like, "Please redeem this character. Give some sort of dynamic to this guy." I think I had a line that kind of sums up everybody's attitude toward Brad. I think the line was, "Hey, Brad, where the hell's he going?" Right, right. And and, and this time it's like, "Hey, hey, Brad, you're staying. You're, t- you're telling us to follow you." <laughs> Yes, thank you for that throwback. <laughs> That's incredible. Where yeah. the hell's he going? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, Can we no. just sit here all night listening to Joe doing lines from the remake? <laughs> <laughs> this game seems to have been inspired from the uh, gameplay of uh, Resident Evil 6. Even the cinematics, the way the camera follows the player, but still refines it but there are still like those you know the we've got the pursuer chasing us this way so we only have to go this way there's like no other way that we could run i did feel a bit directed there's a path and they made it very clear as to where you're supposed to go let me hold your hand kids this is a tough section yeah exactly (laughs) my concern more was how much danger i really was in in terms of there was the spectacle and if i was too slow in getting out the window whether nemesis would actually kill me in those sections before you meet brad you can definitely die in those sections because i i I checked (laughs) i was like (laughs) i actually die here and yeah you can yeah i concur (laughs) my first death in uh, three was coming out of that doorway to the there's a stairwell that you have to go down and then at the bottom the first time that you have to run across the street and there's a couple of zombies yeah Yeah, i ran right into them (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know what the uh the dodge mechanism i didn't know how it worked yet so i I was too slow at punching the dodge (laughs) mechanism and i got caught just how incredible were those streets the helicopters overhead the fire i kept stopping to look up at the buildings the fire coming out i mean has it's just one of the most beautiful looking games just the carnage everywhere it just capcom i think in these opening sections just excelled themselves the artistry in all of this design yeah this new this new engine uh I, i believe it's a like version two of re engine so it's it's designed more for next gen and we're getting to see that a little bit here and it's very exciting like everything is super colorful yeah i love Uh, the vibrancy in this yeah yeah you didn't get that in re7 re2 or dmc5 like like those are the only other re engine games and like they're pretty dull on the color side but this game is very pretty to look at what the heck is jill's apartment door made of when she closes yeah, it, yes. it acts like wood. When Nemesis hits it, it acts like metal. Okay, he just punched the door, yet he could punch through a brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. But anyway, you know, with this opening out, out there back on the streets again, with the two helicopters, you know, going overhead, d- did anybody else get the feeling that we were simultaneously experiencing the beginning of RE3, but also the intro of the original game? The people running, you know, down the street with the zombies chasing. The all getting ready to line up the barricade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they were what they were going for, definitely. Like ju- just like ho- combining that with the the FMV intro is like a, an extended version of the cutscene yeah. intro of the original RE3. There's a lot of love for the source material, but it's not I don't want to say faithfully, but like it's not adapting it. 
this game is very much a brand new game in every aspect, but it's got its little, you know, nods and like there are things later in the game where you're just like, oh, okay, that didn't happen before, but now it's happening now. They still did that. It is a completely different thing. I know it's very vague what I'm saying right now, but no, like, no, you know, yeah. it's just. I still felt that it had, it sort of had more of the heart of the original compared to the, the remake of two. It's, it's really interesting because the two remake is like very faithful in the gameplay department, but not in the story or like tone. Right. And this yeah. game is not faithful to the original RE3, but very faithful in its story and tone. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was feeling. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite of RE2R. Like it's literally like the backwards version of it. So we end up at the barricade in the opening. We're with Brad, Mr. Brad Vickers, our other Alpha Team member. Alpha Team now and forever. That's right. And the barricade gets smashed down by a horde of zombies. So, as per Brad's direction, we are we are directed to go into the bar jack. And he gets bit. He gets bit on the arm. Which is accurate and inaccurate at the same time. Yes, indeed. Because Brad does get bit in that bar in the original, but mm-hmm. it doesn't happen this way. God, I, I, love, I love this moment. I almost actually, like welled up too much at this point <laughs> his 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 last words to jill when he says we both know how this ends and jill still is in disbelief like she doesn't want this i don't even think like she doesn't want to lose her last like teammate it seems like yeah so, so, she, so, so she's like i don't know how this ends he's like listen yeah. we're, we're a team right and she's like always okay well then don't mess up like me get out of here yeah, he like, and he like yeah. pushes her away and he holds the doors like Sudden, don't mess sudden. up like I did. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like yeah. when I heard that the first time, like I wasn't thinking in that moment, I was thinking back to when he abandoned them in the mansion. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what he meant. His final words to her and just like the book end to his character. It is just so opposite of what you had to say, Joe, in the beginning of remake, of remake uh, one, you know, hey, Brad, where's he going? And this time he stays. And he goes out a hero. It's I'm, so great. I'm getting the feels talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, we do. Hanging there, Yeah, yeah. This is, this is all, this is the kind of stuff like Resident Evil fans have wanted for so long, you know, like people who enjoy the stories of the original and it's like, they're finally giving us more to those characters being pretty quick. Like it's so impactful to the, to the story, the characters. And if, if they were to do chicken heart again like sure that'd be that'd be accurate and that'd be great i would go oh yeah uh uh-huh you got it but this time it was like special this time i feel like i need a catharsis for chris (laughs) (laughs) so we are thrown out into the streets she loses her her famous samurai edge right in the apartment against the nemesis she grabs a gun. We get to the first section of gameplay where we have to uh, fight the zombies, and we, we obviously have the new dodge mechanic. She makes her way down these back alleys and ends up in, in a familiar spot from the original, the warehouse, where we see a redesigned Dario Rosso, just as cranky, if not crankier, than his original, <laughs> his original incarnation. Yeah. And if you so choose, you could shoot the cargo container for, <laughs> for a couple more uh, panicky lines. Such as, he has a lawyer, he knows a good lawyer, stop shooting the cargo container. He didn't say anything about his daughter. Yeah, they might have just switched that to Kendo. I think that's what's going on with these new games. And in perfect classic RE3 action, but much earlier on, a rescue helicopter that fails to do its job because Nemesis blows it up. 
we get a nice brief section of music stings as she tries to start a car and looks up at the Very ever cool music stings. <laughs> I, lo- I love those. I love those. Uh, what yeah. two, two or three that we get? Yeah. Every time she looks up, it's brown, and he's getting yeah. closer. He's getting closer, and then she starts dun, the car. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that reminded me a lot of like uh, an old. Uh like Halloween film, oh. one of the original ones, like where, where it was like very heavy synths. I love it. And then she finally starts the car. She floors it and she takes her and Nemesis and the car off the roof. It's one of my favorite shots of Jill just so destroyed in the car, like trying to recover. And in the background, you just see Nemesis get up like it's nothing. Oh my God, this guy is relentless. <laughs> yeah. To put the cap on this whole situ- this whole first Nemesis situation... We have a familiar voice, or maybe a not-so-familiar voice in this yeah. sense. Yeah. A not-so-familiar not accent. Yes. You know, from off-screen. Who do we have but Mr. Carlos Oliveira with a quad rocket launcher ready to take a shot at big old Nemi? And he Another let... beautiful detail about that is you kill Mr. X in the last game with that same weapon, and it is seemingly ineffective on Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpfully arms him at the same time, doesn't it? <laughs> he kind of he kind of does throw it down to the ground, doesn't he? I'm ho- I'm hoping it's the last shot in the launcher. I'm amazed how he kept his hair in such great condition during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Again, just the characterization that they carried over from the original game. My UBCS MVP. <laughs> it's hard to say that after a drink. It's what they did with Mikhail. The emotion. I think they really did justice to his death. Interesting, when we first come across him, I almost had a slight kind of Nikolai kind of antagonism, only just very slightly. But then you can clearly see that he does respect Jill for who she is, for her rank. I very much get that when he thanks her when she returns. He's like, thank you, Jill. Just thank you, Capcom, for... I think really gave him the characterization and the scenes that Mikhail deserved. Yeah, totally. I 100% agree. And a a lot of people don't know this, but there is actually another line that you can get after the substation, like you go back to the train, like he does have one more line that you can hear from him. And it's, it's pretty good. He's, He's just thanking Jill again. His first few lines are, you know, a little like back and forth with Jill. Like, obviously she doesn't trust them. So he's sort of like returning that attitude. But then he's like, thank you. Thank you, Jill. Like, we need we need help. Like, yeah. he knows that a STARS member is going to make it through this. He's also respecting that she knows more than they do. Yeah. Definitely. She's been through that kind of situation before, and they it, haven't. Interesting to note that he knew who she was. I'm wondering how he found out that, that information. I'm not expecting to find out, but I, I, do, I do find it pretty cool that his character knew who she was from the onset. I think it all plays into, you know, some of the files you get in the apartment where it's like agents of Umbrella have clearly been like watching her from across the street. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to touch on, yeah. on that because clearly I think that may have definitely been the case with Nikolai. And then you get that exchange later on just before Mikhail's death. He just sort of lets on to Nikolai that actually there's been some sort of suspicion surrounding you and, and these odd, you know, circumstances surrounding you. So I don't know if perhaps it was Nikolai perhaps had a file on Jill and the other stars members, which somehow Mikhail got his eyes on because, you know, he has been watching Nikolai a lot closer than Nikolai may have appreciated. Yes, yes. I so love that one exchange that they have. Funny how uh, brainless zombies could uh, ambush the team like that. Funny how the gate was locked. 
Yeah. You know, and, and stuff That's like that. That's so good. Like, it's perfect. We don't get that in the original game. I think the only other time, I don't remember if it was even in S.D. Perry's novel of Nemesis, where Mikhail actually talks about Nikolai, like, you know, trapping, like, you know, the team. Because there is some expansion in there. I recall some type of, like, extra thing where, like, I think Mikhail might have been on to him. Yeah, compared to the original, it's, it's much better, like, characterization-wise. It's almost like a callback to ORC where you check the security footage and you see Nikolai betray his team and lock the door. <laughs> but but I, I love the expansion on all of the UBCS characters in this. You know, the expansion with Mikhail, the expansion with Nikolai. I mean, even Tyrell, you know, which we'll get into. You know, he has a yeah. whole mission with, yeah. with, with Carlos. Instead um, of being a one-time moment and then kaboom. Oh, yeah. yeah. By character we don't really know. Yeah. 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 So we end up above ground again, and we're in downtown Raccoon City, and there are neon signs galore. What does everybody think about this area? It just looks absolutely beautiful, and I think Capcom got the balance right because there is neon everywhere, but I I never got a feeling of it being too colourful to take away from the dark atmosphere or being too cartoonish that I didn't feel the tension. Later on in the game it happens, but to see that huge Mr. Charlie head just rolling down, it's just, again, practice with this new engine, it just looks spectacular. That whole area for me, with the neon, with the darkness, I think they could quite easily have kind of fallen into the realm of it looking a little bit too cutesy, because that's always been my criticism of Resident Evil 5. I can never quite get that same tension and feeling from a game that's played during the daytime. I've always felt survival horror really very much needs to be played, you know, with the lights off no earlier than 9pm. Um... (laughs) This was also a staple of the original games. The original games were very colorful, and I think a lot of us were attached to that. So muted colors could very easily throw you into the world of survival horror, but, oh, man, to bring back the colors in this game, I I just, I'm, I'm all in. I love it. Yeah. Totally. There's no um, loss to the survival horror aspect of it because a lot of that area is very dark and the only light are those neon lights and it looks amazing. Yeah. It's meant to be like that at night. And since the power of the city hasn't gone out, everything's going to be lit up. The next night, the uh, I think the power basically goes out almost everywhere. Ferrari too. This game enriches a lot of that game just by default because it gives a lot of context and backstory to the events of RE2R and like how it's just like in this game the city is like super colorful and in parts and then when you play that game it's like really a dead city there's no power there's no nothing oh yeah no lights one thing that really impressed me that I played with the demo and gave me a lot of confidence that Capcom were very much on on the right road in terms of like the first central hub area that you come across and all my fears that a lot of these remakes may be very linear. With the demo and again with the main game, I just loved the fact that I was kind of lost and, and had, had choices of where to go. I just really felt that I was back in that survival horror setting of not knowing where I'm going and, and, and is this the right path? Am I going to have to go to this room before I go to that room? And, and, and you know, is this this jewel that I found now, is it going to be used now or much later on in the game? So I was particularly loving that about this whole section that I did get lost a couple of times during the demo, that kind of almost slightly open world feeling which takes away from the kind of linearity yeah that that area is definitely like one of the best parts in the game perfectly designed like how everything is interconnected and you can like actually open a shortcut and like use different side streets to like get around and avoid certain enemies it's really cool it's very classic 
Speaking of classic, so in this section, we, we stumble upon two classic elements of the original game. We have the uh, the jewel boxes that house very familiar gems mm-hmm. that, to a very familiar puzzle. Not used for the same purposes, but yeah. very cool reference to the gems that would typically open up the gate to City Hall. Uh, in this version, they give you extra items, the, the final one being an RPD pouch for extra inventory, which is great. Yes. Always. Yes. <laughs> and then we have to get past an alleyway, and we find find the infamous fire hose to put out that fire. The animation is very similar looking to the original game, which I thought was real fun. Indeed, oh, indeed it was. She's just shooting the water everywhere and stuff. It's like, oh wow, it's like the original game. Yeah. Yeah. The dog would jump out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There are actually dogs when you get through that building right after it. There are dogs on the other side. So, huh. All right, on the other side of the fence. (laughs) So this leads us to the introduction of Nikolai and the introduction of Murphy Seeker. Uh, The intro and exit. Don't look at me like that. I'm not infected. Ah! Whereas this was an option that you could get, one of two options in the original game. They've decided to go with the option where Nikolai and Murphy are together as opposed to the one where Carlos has to put down his friend. This is the type of stuff where in the lead up to the game, I was like, okay, there are going to be changes to like character events. And very early on, we learned that the the live selection system wasn't going to be in the game. So like immediately my mind was like racing and like how they were going to do certain things. And this is definitely something that I thought about because it basically combines both paths from the original. Cause like in the Carlos side, he's there with Murphy and he's like, I don't want to shoot you. Like you're not infected. Like you could still make it. But Murphy is like, just put me out of my misery. And on the Nikolai side, yeah, please get, it's so sad. On the Nikolai side, he's like, wait, don't she? And he kills him. So here it's like you get Jill arriving on the scene and he's begging for his life. Once uh, Nikolai puts him out of his misery, she sort of has that dialogue where it's like, we don't know if he was infected. It could be possible that he wasn't infected. If you look at her expression after Murphy gets shot, it is pure horror. Yes, which is a theme of this that they play into. (laughs) Yeah. later they made her more expressive with her eyes and her expressions it's like full character it's just... yeah yeah it's yeah. it's amazing it's more emotionally impactful isn't it because in the original it's nikolai on his laptop kind of hunched over so the fact that she obviously sees him before that happens yeah, and... yeah it's an interesting file that you find on him too you know uh how he gets into the ubcs and UBCS are kind of this kind of ragtag mercenaries from from all different sort of places. And, yeah, um, like ex-criminals or, you know, yeah, war yeah. or otherwise, I, I think, yeah. Criminals, soldiers, men of fortune, stuff like that. Yeah, because yeah. right after uh, the Murphy cutscene is when we get a another file, another dead UBCS where it sort of talks about his backstory, that just this random guy, and he was a soldier, just a soldier. You get Murphy's... Thing and it's like oh he's off he just got off of death row and then you get the other guy and it's like oh he was just a soldier so umbrella is just sort of picking these people out of these like unfortunate situations because they're expendable yes yes exactly we still get quite a actually quite a lot of uh, the environmental storytelling in this game you know whether yeah. whether or not it, it's you know similar or, or different to the original that and that's a that's a plus for me is to see that yeah. there are quite a few files still around giving us that environmental storytelling sort of pushing us along and describing things to us before we get there. It's a very classic staple of of the series, and I'm enjoying it very much. There are so many files in this game. It's kind of crazy. Like, it's kind of baffling. 
But yeah. I love that point, Sonny, because that, that's one of the things that I really missed about the older games. They weren't necessarily particularly detailed, but they just really immersed you further, deeper into the game, you know, going up to cases, being told that, you know, the books on biology and, and just these, you know, odd little peculiar and sometimes eccentric descriptions, all sorts of sort of varied items. So, and I just love the fact, thank you, that you can actually, when, when you come across a file, you pick it up. As someone who's just obsessive about the files and just enjoys the addition to the game that they that they offer, I just love the fact that, yeah, you can actually pick them up and they disappear, you know, you've actually got them there with you. Pocket this for evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. And they, they actually they actually talk about that in this game when you, like, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but like much later in the RPD, I'm pretty sure there's a file in Wesker's office that talks about how evidence obtained from the mansion was burned oh, so it's right. like okay so oh, okay. it's it's actually like saying like because that was something i always would bring up to my friends like you pick up all of these files that basically spell out what umbrella is doing in the mansion and yeah. you get back and no one says anything about it <laughs> The company that cares the most for every man, woman, and child on the planet. Umbrella. They've connected you to the world with their internet and telephone services. They've kept you healthy with their top-of-the-line medicine. And now, they wish to power your homes. Umbrella Electric Power we make life better. We head to the electrical substation to repower the subway car, and oh man, is it a giant nest of our yes. of our classic drain demos. Yes, with one of the grossest cutscenes I've ever seen in my whole life. Oh, you should see how many people were complaining about that. <laughs> yeah, it's very icky. I was looking at the old gameplay of the original when they attack you. It does look like they're doing that to her in the original. Yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. sense that they do it with her in this one. Scaling them down, almost like dog-sized spider people, you know, a creature, is, like, way better and more memorable, I think, than having them be, like, the same height as the player. Because almost everyone I've ever spoken to about RE3 always forgets about the Drain Demos and Brain Suckers from the original. But now it's, like, it's like a full set piece that is, like, way more enjoyable. Yeah. The way they are modeled in the remake, they're kind of like our current spiders. Yeah, they're very, they're very spider-like. They're very chimera. I wonder yeah. if they're almost thinking of the mechanics of the crawled out from above, dragged you up. That's I never thought of that. It's almost like a cross between the two. You're right because yeah. the Dreamos used to be the poorer relation of the hunters. You're right. They are kind of almost cast aside in in retrospectives. People don't mention them. And the Drain Demos here give you a poison-like status ailment. It's the new parasite ailment, which uh, only appears in that one part of the game, but that is very spider-like with the poison. They are, in a lot of ways, mashing the two together. They were a real pain in the ass to play on a first playthrough. I was having a problem with them. The only way I could seem to dispatch them quickly was by blasting them with the shotgun, which I didn't have a lot of ammo for. Two things in this remake I found slightly anemic. The shotgun, I really want to feel that I'm blasting something with weight. It felt just almost light, because that was the first time in the game when I was really relying on the shotgun. Just the sound of it and the level of vibration. I wanted to you yeah. know, feel like I was ha handling quite a heavy weapon. Yeah, and yeah. the other small point that I found a little anemic was that classic, iconic stars. <laughs> stars. <laughs> 
Oh, that's much better, yeah. I did Nemesis with the monotone English accent. Gone over to you, Sonny. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the interesting that we didn't get that, did we? I mean, we did a little bit, but it almost seemed really jarring by its omission. It had more of that um, that gurgle quality that the Resident Evil Apocalypse Nemesis had when he said it his one time. Yeah, a little bit. A little yeah, bit. in the movies. It's more, it's more explores. God, yeah. I've, I always forget that he says it once in the movie. Because yeah. that's not the point of the movie. I've actually been getting that question a lot, what I think of Nemesis's voice in this game. And I liked it because, you know, obviously the the original RE3 has the best one because it's it's so it's a well for one, it's a whisper. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that alone is like terrifying. I liked it here because every single time he said it, it was different. If you pay attention to it, like he'll whisper it, he'll scream it, he'll say it normally, like at a normal volume. Yeah. Like there's one where um when he whips you and like pulls you forward, if you get up in time he'll try to grab down at you and he'll like it'll be like a very angry stars like like he just missed you you and know it, and it won't wow. sound it won't sound like an angry robot shouting oh no no more robots like please. like, uh, <laughs> like from umbrella chronicles or orc woof yeah, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed Nemi. Yeah, in this game. It, it's. De- I think it's definitely the best nemesis that we've had since the original. I, the, the original. Oh, the yeah. best looking. Yeah, yeah, best looking and the best sounding. I think. Yeah, nothing will ever take you know uh, Tony uh, Rosado away from us with the original, but this one is definitely a, a close second. There has been obviously a lot of sort of talk about the nose, but I thought it was quite a brave decision Capcom went with this redesign. I just his stretched out head, which reminded me yeah. just just a, an image from um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. When the humans, once they become <laughs> body snatchers, they, they they point at the remaining humans and scream, and they ha- you have this extended mouth, and that scene when he just walks out of the fire and he's on fire, <laughs> it's just stunningly beautiful. But that takes nothing away from the you know the fear, just stunning. Yeah, if you watch his teeth, you can actually see them start to crack. Yeah. Oh. We come out of the electrical substation, and we're about to turn that corner in the alleyway, I believe, and he bursts through the brick wall. Yes. Yes. And it's one of the best surprises, I think. Because <laughs> he's he's absent for maybe like 40 yeah. minutes up to that point while you're exploring. That's one of the things I was upset about this game. In the original, you had to worry about him constantly. In this one, he doesn't seem like much of a presence. Yeah. We- yeah. That criticism has been very much leveled at the latter stages as opposed to up to the halfway point when you take over as Jill after Carlos leaves the RPD. Up to that point, I only felt his omission in terms of it wasn't placed as he was in the demo. So I was kind of thinking, oh, where's he gone? Which made that jump scare even more impactful because I wasn't expecting him to burst through the wall there. The criticism that the Nemesis battles were a little bit too scripted later on, up to that point where you, you take over his jail after Carlos sees the RPD, I wasn't feeling that at all. It, it didn't feel like it was particularly scripted or on rails. It seems like a lot of criticisms with this game is that Nemesis doesn't seem to be as much of a constant presence. It seems like he's more used as like a set piece. He's more scripted to just show up at more definitive areas as opposed to showing up randomly. That was actually one of the negatives in my review for the game. I still feel that way. I've actually gone through the game a few times and tested some things just to like see where he can go and like what he can do. And like mm-hmm. he can he can go into like the substation if you were to backtrack and run back into the substation. So you're you'd be you'd effectively be fighting him with Drain Demos. He can uh, go there, he can follow you all over downtown. And it's it's really good. I think the problem 
with Nemesis in the early parts of this game is that once you uh, get the trains back online, you sort of shut that area down. It's a hard point of no return, is what I called it in my video. And the fact that the game on all difficulties gives you hand grenades, those put him down with one shot. I feel the game could have been balanced a bit more and in different ways to make him feel more meaningful. Like when you get to the sewer, which is like a really great part, I feel they could have put Nemesis at least one more time in the sewer to make up for him feeling a little set PC. But yeah, I definitely I definitely feel that when I play the game. He's a little more scripted than Mr. X. I felt they got the balance. I preferred the balance they got in the, you know, in terms of you you want the impending pursuer tension, but at the same time in RE2 where Mr. X for me transgressed into almost annoyance rather yeah, than yeah. fear. I thought they got that balance great with this. Just perhaps such a shame that maybe that wasn't built upon that he could just suddenly burst out of anywhere. I get that for sure. And because, yeah, Mr. X is very, um, he's very much present in most of the RPD. For a lot of people, that was a big complaint with that game. And I feel like Capcom may have taken that to heart Mm. and made it a little bit more manageable here. I would have loved to see a little bit more of him throughout all of the game. Yeah. And yeah. fighting him fighting him with the rocket launcher is one of the most fun things when you get to it, but it's once again it's optional. If you do fight if you do stay there and fight him, like he will give you a drop, like an item drop, but that's that's probably the biggest issue I had with the game was just he wasn't on you at all times and I feel like that was something that made the original RE3 so special. Was like at any moment, this guy could just be there. Oh my god, I gotta run or fight. So, so many <laughs> yeah, moments. The moment you hear that door open, stars. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> the constant the, fear of him yeah. showing up out of nowhere. The the original RE3 also did something amazing where during a chase, Nemesis would mess with you and like you would go into a new area and you would hear him say stars, but he wouldn't show up. And he'd be like, come through the door. Yeah. Those moments. I'm still talking about them. I played the game a billion years ago, you know, for the first time, like that really stuck out in my mind. And that isn't really here, unfortunately. Yeah. There's, there's so much unpredictability and and randomness with the original game. They really like, they really like did so many individual things with the screen scripting in that game so we've got him back and he gives us the parasite zombies how do we feel about the parasite zombies in downtown raccoon city it's an interesting design, wasn't it? Didn't seem consistent with any previous canon in terms of the effect of the G virus. Yeah. Just felt like a game mechanic. We've had Crimson Heads before in terms of how zombies can develop. I definitely enjoyed just the specific game mechanic that something additional was happening to the zombies. Gross it in a good way when you first see what he does to that very first parasite. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but you know how you run through the donut shop and you get that cutscene of him mutating the zombie? So you can actually go the long way around i did that i did that yeah and you get a different cutscene. you get a different cutscene of him mutating another zombie and like all of the uh the interconnected paths i remember on like my third playthrough i got the one where you go down the stairs and through the donut shop and i was like oh my god this is like the remnants of a live selection that we didn't get yeah but that's that's so good to know because i've really felt that these are the things that that we would lose with these remakes in the original there's so many different alternatives and changes which for me help the replayability more than just doing the different paths of Leon and Claire so that that's great to hear that, that you, you do have that alternation if you go a different route yeah there's there's a ve- there's a very small amount of it but it's there 
But yeah. I do like how they actually, when you get killed by one of them, it takes over your body. Oh, yeah. That's so that gross. Is, <laughs> that's a nasty animation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really liked them from a gameplay perspective. And uh, I believe it's like the any alpha parasite, which makes sense that he's turning them into it. But I mean, the final thing I'll say about it is if Capcom doesn't want us to think they're remaking RE4, then they should not put RE4 things <laughs> in this game. <laughs> That they can easily reuse later yeah. for Las Plagas. Oh. Yeah, a little <laughs> indication of Las Plagas there. Yeah. Okay. Now let's move on to the stalking moment at the toy shop. Where he stands there and just like stares yes. at you from the that, window. That thing is, that part that is so is cool. very powerful image right there where he just yeah. stands there looking at you. That is so creepy, yeah. I love that, yeah. <laughs> so we get one more pursuit and she utters a famous, famous line. <sighs> Way too early. Way too early in this version of the game. It should have been her closing line. You want stars? I'll give you stars. And it sounds so good, but it's so early in the game. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, this is her iconic last line. I know. Yeah. What would you have felt, though, if they had just taken it as her last line? But would there have been the point that it was just too on the nose, that it was too identical to the previous one? Do you think the decision was, it's got to be in there, but at quite a different point in the game? I have a feeling that's, like, considering RE2R did not have any classic lines, I can almost imagine someone at Capcom fighting for that line to be in the game at all, you know? And maybe, like, a higher-up was, like, or, like, a producer was, like, we don't want it to be in the end, and they just had to figure it out because a lot of that stuff definitely happens with remakes after the uh the famous stars i'll give you stars that leads us to the sewer section and is also the introduction to the redesigned hunter gammas very interesting that early on with screenshots of this creature from the front people thought that this was the gravedigger because of its new newly redesigned mouth but it is in fact a redesigned hunter gamma they are bigger they are more disgusting looking and they could definitely swallow you whole with ease I enjoyed them in terms of I never quite liked the original. They were almost too amphibian-like that detracted, for me, away from the fiercenessness of the more reptilian hunters. Definitely an improvement on the original. More harder difficulties, it becomes a bit of a frustration that they do have that one move kill. Mm. Um, If anything, you know, that adds to to the fear that they induce within you when you see them. Yeah, same. I I really enjoyed uh, the redesign. I I liked how they played. They're really difficult if you use normal weaponry. When I first saw them in screenshots, I, I thought they were, in fact, the giant worm. They are just basically a big head. And I thought that was just the head of the worm, you know? Yep. And the rest of it was down the tunnel, but I thought it was great. I thought it was a cool uh, uh, combination of both creatures in a, in a meaningful way for this type of reimagining. The content of these files is definitely an improvement. I just love that file of the umbrella scientist that was developing these. He refers to as his babies. Creepy as not. Yeah, it serves to give us a clue in terms of their vulnerability, but I I love that file. Yeah, and it shows you that they aren't as advanced Mm -hmm. as like a normal hunter. I thought they were like a chicken with a grub head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Little arms that look like chicken wings. I thought it was... I thought it was funny, yeah, like they just have like a little tiny, (laughs) it's just unsettling, you know, because it's like this giant inflated body and they've got these little legs and wings. Are we thinking maybe they're like giant, like inflated pterodactyls or something like that? Like, like if we had to... A little bit, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so we have a, a bit of a trek throughout the sewers. We have to use this battery device 
to open these gates. Bit of a maze. The point was being made that this was a more combat oriented game than two, but I actually felt that this game was slightly more cerebral. That extra additional level of puzzle I enjoyed. I was getting a feeling as well of Dead Aim in these sewers with the Hunter Gammas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a section that I was most concerned about in terms of sort of aesthetically looking maybe a bit dull. Like, you know, the mind section, RE7, which didn't quite do it for me. I loved that section. Yeah, it was great. We climb out of the sewers and Nemesis grabs her by the head and (laughs) pulls her right out of the opening and throws her to the ground in glorious Nemesis fashion. And now he's got a flamethrower. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. I just love the intro to it, him pulling you off the ladder, just throwing you aside like you're nothing. The climb up the the building Mm -hmm. and you see him coming up the stairs, following you, just burning everywhere you just were. Like the path that you took was really hauntingly cool. Like that's the thing about this game is like Nemesis is so cool in this game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's lighting that building up like it's not yeah. like he doesn't care at all what goes. And if you if you stick around, like you'll catch on fire too. Like so you can't really Oh, that's uh, good to know. When you get past that trio of zombies, when you go up that first staircase, mm-hmm. once you get past it, you can look down at where they were, and Nemesis comes right up the stairs with the flamethrower and he's just burning the whole building down. And if you stand there, you'll die. Yeah, that's um, great. That's great. The whole climb up the building, getting to the top and having that awesome boss fight. That feels so like video gamey in the right ways. Yeah. Like, I just loved the design of that boss fight because you get a very clear indication of when his, when he's out of ammo and he has to like reload, like basically, like he holds it up to the sky and you could shoot at the gun itself to like do more damage to his flamethrower. That stuff is top tier, in my opinion. I love like every part of that. Just like the fact that he has a phase two, because like the flamethrower part, he's super slow. But every one of those attacks puts you in danger. The the part two of it, him being like way more faster and in your face, like using the flamethrower as a melee weapon was just so much fun to dodge against. It just adds to the whole tension and the whole, just the whole fear he yeah. induces in you. And almost without that, may in a, in a modern gaming setting, may have, he may have felt a little redundant or just a little repetitive. The flamethrower was most definitely a better alternative to the minigun. The minigun yeah, would, I, yeah. I think, would have made it seem too actiony, not as not as like you know tense or like you know yeah, cre- you know creepy in a way. It just the- yeah, it just wouldn't make any sense seeing Jill shrug off minigun yeah. ammo. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly. Jill falls off the side of the building. We're back on street level, and we climb up a a fire truck. And we go across an extended fire ladder, and oh man, we are in familiar territory. Yes. <laughs> we are in the back of the RPD, and we are in front of Kendo's gun shop. Like, as I was walking around there, I was like, oh man, I hope they don't let me go into the RPD. I don't know, like, it would feel too early or something for it, and they don't. Yeah. This cutscene with Kendo is really good. Not only does it show that he has what seems like a very friendly relationship with stars, it, it enriches the uh, encounter from RE2 reimagined. Yeah. It is such a contrast to have such a camaraderie and a friendship with one character to basically being so standoffish with another character he doesn't know oh, yeah. the very next yeah. day. It's it's heartbreaking, too, because the reason keeping him there, obviously his daughter, is, yeah. Yeah, it just makes it all yeah. the more heartbreaking. It's really depressing when you think about it because like we know that Jill's going to get out of the city. We don't really see exactly what happens to Kendo and Emma in RE2 2019, but just seeing this and him, you know, staring off into the distance when Jill's trying to talk to him. Yeah. And knowing 
like he's basically blowing off like like if he goes with Jill, he's gonna survive. He's blowing that off to stay with his dying yeah. daughter. And it's so it's so heartbreaking when you put all of it together, like from last year's game and this game. Yeah. It's really good. It's great writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, agree. I think it's really it's it's really coming through in the podcast a highlight for all of us. That these really beloved characters that actually, you know, Kendo the in the original, we may be surprised to go back and see just actually how very little screen time they have and, and very little dialogue they have, but just their legendary status has been built up with further reading material. And, and as, as I say, they're just so important to us. And that's one of the highlights for me in these remakes is that these characters are, are getting really, as, as you say, great writing. It's really doing justice to, to the love that we have for these characters and that we're just seeing them, not reimagined, we're just seeing them with more depth and, and emotional insight into their hmm. lives. You know, yeah. it, it's it's sad. And uh, you can hear extra dialogue if you go check the door. You know, he, he tells you that the key to the front yeah. gate is out front. But after that, if you go and check the door, you hear Emma saying, Daddy, like the way she does in... Uh, in RE2 and, and he like you know he's like it's okay pumpkin you know everything's gonna be okay like, it's just yeah. it's 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 heart it's heartbreaking it really is yeah because we know that it's not okay <laughs> no, none of it it's not none of it's gonna pan out <laughs> no I just love the character expansions in this like they do a lot of character work you know they could have very easily just focused more on just like the gameplay and progressing like you know the game itself and just brush that off but they take their time to like shoot this cinematic quality like with these these scenes and everything like these interactions it's it's incredible so we leave Kendo, and we are now heading back. We're finding an alternate way back to the subway. Next, we run into Nemi with the rocket launcher. Yes, and probably, like, the most badass entrance I've ever seen. Like, you're, <laughs> you're just, again, the second most badass entrance I've ever seen from this character. Yes. Of you just running along, everything's fine, and then, bam, the flamethrower slams right in front of you and you turn around and this guy drops the rocket launcher case on the ground <laughs> and he just pull, he, he gets it equipped and time to run. He doesn't, he doesn't like, he drops the case like he's dropping the mic or something. Yeah. It's such a yeah. badass, yeah, it's such a badass drop. He's like, yeah, you're about to be screwed. There's a danger of giving Nemesis too much personality so he becomes too cartoonish. But like you say, Mike Drock, I think that's a good point because it, it does give him that kind of little bit extra personality where he's showing his contempt for stars and Jill. And yeah. so he's just less robotic. I like it because it gives him just that slightly heightened uh, intelligence over yes. over Mr. X, I think, who seems to be a little bit more analog with the programming yes. as a tyrant. There's more intelligence with the, with the any alpha parasite, you know, coupled with uh, the human brain, you oh, know, yeah, binding, yeah. binding together. I really enjoyed it because like you get it in the cutscenes, but you also get it in the gameplay. Like just the way he he'll like he'll like strut around and like do an uppercut, <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. just it gives more life to that to that character. And I feel like mm. or to that monster, I should say. Maybe I shouldn't say character, but yeah, just the way he attacks you at all times, like during during all of his appearances is is really cool. Yes. He almost wants to savor it savor the moment <laughs> yeah i mean you get that from the very start when he kind of he's almost playing with joe isn't he you know like a cat that plays with a mouse yeah um, yeah totally yeah yeah definitely so we get we get our rocket launcher our throwback from the original game a nice way to marry the two styles we've got the classic pursuit with the rocket launcher but they add this gameplay mechanic of putting the laser sight on it so that it gives you a visible resource 
in order to try and dodge the rockets as, as they come. You know that the laser sight is orange, and then when he locks onto you, it turns red, and there's a rocket that's about to be fired. So what did you guys think about that mechanic for having to uh, dodge the rockets? I really enjoyed it. I actually have a save file just for that, <laughs> so I can keep playing it over and over again, because I love oh, wow. after the head rolls down the street, um, <laughs> in, that, in that one area again, like that main downtown area, just fighting him. It's like basically just an arena that you could fight him in, and just dodging the rockets was so much fun. And if you if you dodge too many, he actually gets upset and runs straight at you and does like an insta-kill. Ooh. Yeah, I thought it was great. When I first heard about this, I was a little bit concerned of any throwbacks to lasers in the Paul W.S. Anderson films. Apologies. We, I mean, we've got no blasphemy, we've got no blasphemy rule. No, um, hey, you know, with good reason. That was the first time we saw the laser sight on his rocket launcher. But, so, yeah. yeah. I would rather give a call back to a very, very small section when Alfred Ashford is pointing his shotgun um... at, at that red laser that if you're on it for too long, it's an instant kill. Yeah. Almost. Oh, so, yeah, the, the sniper uh, rifle. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, no, I, 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 and I was actually going to ask what the best technique was for dodging this. I was sort of moving erratically left and right. There's almost like a flow. If you, you know, you could dodge back and forth doing the, the dodge button. It kind of screws with his aiming pattern. And that's when he tries to insta-kill you immediately. Like, he'll just run straight up to you. Like, why am I even wasting my time shooting at this, <laughs> at this human? It's one of the best in the game, for sure. <laughs> We head through downtown again. He blows the giant head off of Toy Uncle and it rolls down the stairs. We have to dodge that. We fight him in downtown. And now we end up back to the subway area and Carlos is there to greet us. And he's got a different pathway for us to get back to the subway. We end up, much yeah. to my dismay, we run right around the corner of the famous Stagwa gas station and I don't get to see my DeLorean blow up this time. Yeah, no DeLorean this time. <laughs> this goes back to something I said way at the beginning of this. This is another one of those moments where it's not the exact scene remade, but it is basically Carlos outside of the gas station, Jill in the gas station, and him holding off something. You know, because yeah. like in the original, it was him holding off the horde of zombies while you figured out the puzzle. And I don't really have a problem with it because initially when I heard these little spoilers that the only appearance of Stagler was just when you see it in the distance at the beginning, but it's there. And if you actually think back to the original, you didn't spend any particular significant time in Stagler. You just solved that little oil puzzle that I yeah. still don't have. That I still have no idea what I'm doing. I just randomly. <laughs> yeah, I brute force it every time. Yeah. Like I never know. Just A, B, A, C, A, what, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I can be there for a second. Sometimes I think my longest is five minutes. Oh, um, oh boy. I, but yeah. A lot of people. People have complained with this game that there are not many puzzles, but that's a really good example of a puzzle to cut. The original RE3, like I love it. I loved it. I love it to death. I love basically everything about it. Yeah. But the puzzles are a lot of the time just just brute force it. You don't even have to read a file, just what? smash the button. It's very streamlined. Like you can call RE2 2019 a remake all you want, but this game is definitely like the dictionary definition of reimagining. It's just streamlining everything in like a brand new take. It takes a lot more liberties than the original, but I also feel it's more appropriate to do that, whereas RE2, even if you reimagined it, you need to stick to certain actual structured story beats with that. Yeah. One thing leads to another, whereas the beginning of RE3, yeah, you go to all these different locations, yeah, you're gathering supplies for this transport, but you really could be flexible with that. It doesn't have to be yeah, so yeah. specific. Are you tight on cash and can't afford the highly expensive foods for your diet? 
Well, don't waste your money on settling for fast food or junk food. Introducing Umbrella Noodle, a full stomach at only 100 calories. We head down to the subway train and Mikhail and Tyrell, Tyrell Patrick. Mikhail commends Jill on her efforts to repowering the train and for making it back and that her reputation precedes her. You just see total appreciation from one soldier to another there and it's and it's yeah. wonder, wonderful. We've got an amazing moment here with Jill kind of just sitting and looking out the window as the train is going through the tunnels and the music is just so really like just like capturing this whole scene here of her just looking off and just yeah. uh, like it's it's incredible the the blue light from inside the subway car the shine on everything it's great. We've got Nikolai and Mikhail. They start having a conversation. And then all of a sudden, Mikhail sits down with Nikolai right over him. And he's like, you know, it's really, really funny. A group of zombies can swarm a platoon like that and overrun them with such ease. Also very funny that the gate was conveniently locked. And he looks at him and he's like, don't you think? But before he gets to reply, we have an explosion on the train. <laughs> Who other than Nemi... In, yes. the tra- in the train car, with the rest of the survivors, he has effectively killed them all in one explosion, undoing all of the efforts of our UBCS guys here. It's terrifying, for sure. Leading up to the game's release, I remember there was a press screenshot that I was sent, and it was from this scene of Mikhail holding Jill back. I immediately thought from just seeing that one picture alone that Mikhail was going to be like upset about all the civilians getting killed off like that. But I loved how in the full game, he was like, oh, don't worry about it, Jill. Come on, come on. You got to go. You got to go. And he holds Nemesis back just like he did in the original. And as Jill is trying to escape, that's when we get the scumbag Nikolai drop like one of the coolest villain lines ever. He's not after me. And he just leaves. He leaves them in the dust. And that's when we get Mikhail's extremely badass exit. And it was, it was so good. It was just so good. How do we feel about this change, by the way, that it's Nikolai on the train instead of Carlos? I think it makes sense for this game, you know, having the team separate and try to cover more ground with their mission of finding Bard off on this side and then this other team going off and rescuing people. But obviously that's not (laughs) Nikolai's real intention. No. He's got his own, his own goals. With Mikhail's death, I love how he went out like a boss. I'm not sure I I was affected as much as as the original game, and I don't know what it was. Maybe, like, you know, Nemesis didn't toss him around the train a little bit, and there was, like, a little bit more of a buildup, like, in the original game or something. Because this one is very, like, very fast. It's interesting because Mikhail, I think, has done so well. And so you would think for that reason, we're emotionally invested in him in the original. It's quite disturbing the way that Nemesis throws him around. And is it not quite as impactful because in the original, you're battling Nemesis as Jill in the gameplay. He comes to kind of save you in that way. Maybe you don't quite feel the danger as the gameplay yourself because you're not battling him yourself as the player in, in the remake. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so you don't get that in this. You, you kind of just get, yeah, get the cutscene. I wanted him to be more upset about it, even though he was such a boss and such a veteran. It just seems yeah. like it just seemed like the whole mission right there, everything that they had been building up to, like was just gone in just like a bit of a second. I, I think it's good because you get a like a more mature reaction instead of him just being like going guns blazing at Nemesis immediately. Yeah. You get him quickly, just immediately. Okay, Jill, you got to get out of here because my mission's failed. All I could do is save you. Like, that's my mission now. You and, and Nikolai, you guys get out of here. That's what my mission is. That's my final mission. It's yeah. not It's not just like him being like, damn it, I failed. Like, it's him just being like, immediately, just 
he's a veteran, right? Instead of showing that he's failed, he decides to just immediately try his best to reassure Jill. No, 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 get out of here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll handle him. <laughs> maybe it wasn't like, you know, showing that, that he failed, but maybe like a couple extra seconds of him, like maybe like a couple camera shots of him, like assessing the carnage, maybe yeah, like from his yeah, point yeah. of view. Yeah, I, 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 I would have yeah, liked sure. on that, like sort of just taking a second. Jill, get out of this car right now. Yeah. Just go. Like, you got to get out I get you. I get you for sure. But no, I mean, he's still Mikhail. He's yeah. The, he's, <laughs> he's the MVP. He goes out like a boss. Both yeah. times. Both so. times. And I wouldn't have it any other way. While this is going on on Jill's side, we have Carlos and his new partner, Tyrell Patrick. Very, very different from the Tyrell that we get in the original game. He's got a more expanded role. And they are both on a mission to go to the RPD to look for Dr. Bard, who has a vaccine. They arrive at the West Gate, which is the same as Remake 2's second run mm-hmm. intro. Immediately, we hear a familiar voice call out, and uh, it's Marvin Brana, And he's saying, no, Brad. And Marvin is trying to hold off a zombie Brad Vickers just this this scene it brings you back to re2r because yeah when he's telling leon don't make my mistake if you encounter one of those things uniform or not you do not hesitate we all knew that he was referring to someone close to him but we just didn't know so fantastic that we finally find out who that zombie that we clearly knew was someone that meant something to marvin was and now that we find out it it makes such i think it's so much more meaningful than just having brad get wasted by nemesis yeah as a as a throwaway he's a stars member he's an officer of the rpd he should have this meaningful moment of marvin pointing his gun and he's like he's like don't make me do this like i'm sorry man and then brad uses the last shred of his humanity to say sorry for what he was about to do and it catches marvin off guard it caught us all off guard yeah. every single stream i've watched of people playing this game like when they hear him say sorry they all stop just like marvin and it's the perfect lead-in to him getting bit is he in there still is he still a person and it's like nope you're bit he was he was for a split second <sighs> Then he was, God. Then he was gone. The first time they had a zombie talk, they had a forest talk in the slot machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Pachinko. Please kill me. Thank you. <laughs> this was handled a, a lot more better. A lot better Very, uh, very tasteful this time. Not, uh... This one was very tasteful. <laughs> I'm conflicted about Brad's fate because the scene is beautiful. It is so beautiful. Yeah, done. Yeah. But I feel like if, if Nemesis doesn't waste him like he does in the original then he doesn't succeed at his mission at all. He doesn't get one stars member. If they had somehow married the two of those together, right? instead of like, you know, getting Brad through the head, he got him like, you know, through the through the chest or something and killed him that way and infected him. I have an idea to pitch to you guys. You kill zombie Brad, right? What should have happened, and this would be evidence of him interacting with Nemesis at the very least, is once you pick up the RPD card, his head turns into one of those any alpha parasites. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been perfect, right? Like, they should have just did that. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Yeah. The thing is that's bothering me is, where did his body go? It went into classic RE, you know, (laughs) suspended disappearance. I'm pretty sure you guys haven't seen this yet, but on um, Nightmare difficulty, when you kill Zombie Brad, you don't kill him there. When you go into the RPD, the liquor hallway, you can actually see Zombie Brad walking around the RPD outside of the windows. So he's he's not done yet. And when you get further in the RPD, he actually ambushes you again. Oh, wow. They actually expand on it and they make him more of like a super zombie in Nightmare difficulty. Oh, now I got to play Nightmare mode. Yeah, it's. I highly <laughs> recommend it. I highly recommend it. 
you've got to play nightmare mode and get to that point, Sonny. <laughs> I know, I know. It's going to be, I mean, that's past hardcore mode, so. I love the RPD section. I love going through it as the UBCS. I love the liquor hallway. Seeing those officers get killed in real time. You know, it's just a day before. It's moments before Carlos could get there to help. But it's a day before Leon gets there to see, you know, them still in their same position. You know, they basically haven't reanimated. It's very early 29th when this happens. And then it's late 29th when Leon and Claire get there. I love the RPD section as the UBCS. Them being in constant radio communication, like, it's just, oh, it's awesome. I think it's, it is just so iconic, the building. I'm never going to complain to be put back in there. But at the same time, perhaps would have felt cheated if it had taken up a larger section of the game. I think it was just the right size. You know, you spend just the right amount of time in it. And I agree, I agree with Sonny. I, I love that section. Didn't feel overly repetitive. Almost gives it that extra intrigue. You basically witness the final moments of the downfall of the RPD yes. besides Marvin and Elliot Edward. It's just great to even see an inkling of those. You don't even see that stuff in the original. I thought it was a nice touch. I really liked it. So we witness the final moments of the downfall of the police. Carlos traverses the RPD, eventually uh, gets to the star's office, and we find out that Dr. Bard is not there, but... Checking Jill's computer, there's a video feed of, of Dr. Bard. He is at the hospital. That was one of the my sort of biggest concerns because one of my favorite sections of the original you know, was going to the hospital and you know, as you enter the sort of the carnage and the atmosphere that you really get and there's that little animation with Carlos just kind of looking around and just can't believe what, what he can see around him. Well, it's funny that you say uh, you liked the animation of Carlos looking around because you get that in this. Like, there's like literally a cutscene where he's like looking around like frantically and it zooms in on his eyes looking around frantically. Oh, it's yeah. really good. It's very well done. The hospital is my favorite open ended section. As Resident Evil explorable hubs go, this is definitely like one of my favorites. So the hospital is like multiple floors that you can travel. Uh, via the staircase uh, in the original it was three floors elevator few hallways this time it is much more like a like a mini spencer mansion rpd there are multiple paths that you can take it's all interconnected there are different ways you can get up and down between the floors and it's all just super atmospheric it's it's cool seeing like a photorealistic re engine video game hospital like, we haven't really gotten that yet. I think the closest thing are the labs in uh, Not a Hero and RE2 Reimagined, mm, yes. where it's just like that super clean look. In this, it's it looks like a, like a real-life disaster zone. The lighting is just impeccable. There are so many just, like, neon blues and, like, greens, depending on where you're which room you're in source source lighting like from like you'd be in a dark room but the room would be illuminated by like the vending machine and it's just yeah it is it's incredible incredible it looks so beautiful it's definitely like my favorite explorable area in the game for sure they really take the new lighting techniques for this game from the downtown area and apply them here as well and it it just comes off as spectacular and the gameplay is really good too you've got tons of zombies uh and uh you know i don't want to say too much about them but the the hunter beta are back and they they're probably the best resident evil hunters we've had in a while they are the most ferocious hunters since the original re1 yes they are actually terrifying again not like uh you know like a revelations where they're 
they're very numerous and cartoonishly bullet spongy. Here, yeah. it's like you can actually strategize when you fight them. You can shoot them in different parts of their body. And, and they just, the redesign is great. They've got a tail now, which I know some people are a little hesitant about, but I, I don't, I think most people are very happy with how they came out. And they really pull the, the area together in like a unique and memorable way because they're so tough. And like, I actually found myself like multiple times being like, okay, I've got to get into that room, run in, grab the item, get out. And, you know, like, I'm not even going to stand around fighting them and they do follow you. So it's, it's great. It's the hospital is just a plus for me. I agree with everything that's been said about the hospital. My only criticism compared to the original and those pre-rendered backdrops and the story that they tell, the carnage and, and just the gore, you see Carlos just utterly shocked what he sees the devastation around him i just didn't get that feeling didn't get that story portrayed in these you know modern 3d environments the, the actual gameplay design i completely agree it was fantastic it was a highlight of the game but i did find it a little bland and it wasn't until we get to that room where the nurses have their last stand there's that wonderful file where the nurse laments she feels that she's betrayed her patients and they shut themselves in uh, they talk about, you know, the hopefulness of, of the helicopter they can hear in the distance. It wasn't until you get to that room that you actually see this blood and, and, and carnage and, and, and terror that's just swept across the hospital that, for me, was displayed and illustrated in those pre-rendered backgrounds in a much deeper, meaningful way. The reception, for example, it just sort of looks like a janitor has just messed around with a couple of chairs. You know, it, just, it looks mildly disorganized. <laughs> Not that zombie apocalypse that I'd expect to see. In terms of the gameplay, I, yeah, the, the hospital was fantastic. And of course, the hunter betas are just ferocious. I agree. We haven't had anything like that since the originals. It's so wonderful, again, to be scared to walk into a room in, in a Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> in a, Joe knows that. Why we do this? <laughs> yeah, in the Spencer Mansion. It was just wonderful. You can see them prowling and you're thinking, what's my next move? How am I going to strategize this? Yeah, just just wonderful. Everyone knows that Raccoon City is blessed with a wonderful bounty of locally grown herbs that can be used in a variety of helpful ways. But we also know that the red herbs alone generally does not provide nearly as much uses. Until today, introducing Red Herb IPA, a drink that's guaranteed to make you feel livelier with each bottle. Red Herb IPA! <sighs> I feel better already. Warning contains alcohol. Raccoon City Police doesn't tolerate underage drinking or driving under the influence. Susie, in terms of your sort of general review, listening to the way that you talk about the hospital, it makes me feel that, would you agree that maybe slightly unfair that this sort of criticism that this is an overly short game? I would disagree that it's a short game because there's a lot to do within each explorable environment. Yeah. I think, and this is also a complaint that I have, all of the explorable open-ended environments are great. They are 100% Resident Evil. You're doing your thing, you're getting ammo, you're getting key items. There aren't as many puzzles as a typical RE game, but that's okay, I think, for, like, for this game's case. It's just the linear in-between parts that I think people are focusing on. And mm -hmm. I don't think those parts devalue the experience that much. There are areas that don't make an appearance in this game that I... Um, definitely upset about, but for what this game is, it's great. Like it, it's a great, more action-oriented survival horror adventure. I wouldn't say that it's better than RE3 99, the original RE3, just because I've got huge nostalgia for that game too. I think it does a lot 
with what it has, like with the live selections and all that kind of stuff, like all of the randomness, the random elements. But like this game, this, you know, RE3 Reimagined is is a game that is definitely worth your time. But yeah, it's definitely got some problems that I think are are big problems. But overall, just really enjoyed it. Yeah, this remake is definitely getting there for me in terms of scratching that survival horror itch, very much like Revelations 2 did. I could see it after a few more playthroughs and, and the challenge of, of the high difficulty levels and maybe re-exploring some of these areas. And so, yeah, I, I can see it quite comfortably falling into, certainly within my top six Resident Evil games, maybe even sort of top five. So I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Love the remake of 2, but for me, the, this is this is on a next level, almost in the same way that the original improved upon its predecessor. I do feel that this has improved upon the remake of 2. I loved it. And the performances as well of, of the whole cast was just fantastic. I am really enjoying the game. I, I've, I've heard criticisms. Uh, I've seen some other reviews online. And uh, I'm not sure that I agree with, with the bad ones. I've, I've, I've heard some people kind of dissing Resident Evil 3. And my experience with it so far is wonderful. I'm really enjoying it. The nemesis has got me so paranoid. And I, I, I have developed a very strong dislike for it he uh he always shows up at the at the absolute worst moment which i guess is the point um really enjoying that aspect of this game even though as i've stated previously i don't enjoy a constant attacker i don't enjoy having that aspect in the game where you're constantly being pursued by some monster for some reason i mean i think it it, it, it does add a level of tension but it for me personally i would rather have the ability to explore more but i'm i'm an explorer i'm the kind of person who plays world of warcraft and does doesn't raid because I enjoy exploring the environment so much, you know, and I don't want to do that being chased around by something. That's just me. <laughs> but I think they got that balance much better in this game than in the remake of 2, because in the remake of 2, I started to find Mr. X, his constant pursuing an annoyance yes. rather than fear that I may have got from Jack Baker in Resident Evil 7. Yeah. Oh, completely. And, yeah, you yeah. know, it's funny. I played all of 7, and um, I didn't feel the same way about Jack Baker. Somehow in that house, it just seemed right, uh, just felt right. Uh, I really enjoyed Resident Evil 7. I know that there are a lot of people out there who dissed the game, but... But uh, I thought it was wonderful. It's not a Resident Evil game, but it's it's a wonderful game on its own. You talk about the criticisms of Resident Evil 3, and I think the majority of them have come from people that are a lot more law and, and canon-minded. And I think uh, so, yeah. yeah. People who are upset, people who were very invested in the original yeah. and uh, are, are now upset with what they did with 3 for different reasons. I, I've never heard any of the other reviewers say that they hate the game entirely. There are just aspects of it that they would rather have the way that they want. Whatever game you put out, there's always going to be someone who who does who dislikes some aspect of the game. But um, overall, I'm really enjoying it. I completely agree. And, and I kind of feel myself, I, I am in the camp of those that are very sensitive to any changes in the law and the canon. And we cherish the canon deeply, which is why. And we'll come on to this in our second part of our review that will be with our Resident Evil Resistance podcast, that it was just unforgivable that they didn't include the Dead Factory. And particularly when you look at, at the Nest scenarios and what it was replaced with, this extremely bland layout. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah the, the, the Dead Factory and, and all the canon and the law and the story that it provides 
provides us. And, and as I say, we will come on to this in our second part of the review, but the omission of the dead factory for me is unforgivable. Putting that to one side, I actually, other than that, I didn't feel particularly betrayed by the changes. I think they kept the spirit of the original. And yeah, I liked the addition. I liked the sewer section. I know not overly popular with some people. I really liked the design of the Hunter Gammas and didn't feel betrayed by the changes in, in the canon. As I say, putting to one side the woeful omission of the Dead Factory. God, I, I love the opening to this game. It's not the same opening as the original, which is also epic. I love that we get a more quiet opening that's more creepy with PTSD for Jill and stuff like that. And then after that, we kind of just get thrown right into it. I love how this game starts. The characters and their interactions for me carry a lot of this game for me. I always love strong performances, strong writing, even strong directing with the way that, that it's shot. It's just a lot of that is amazing in this. And even with the changed characterizations of like, you know, Carlos and Tyrell working together in the RPD, the way that they make Mikhail like, you know, more of the more of his bo- boss role in this. And and Jill, Jill in, in general, you know, she's she's ace in this. She's it's it's just great to have to have her back. She's sarcastic, she's witty, she's tough. She doesn't take anything from anybody. You she's know. also caring as well. <laughs> yes, and she's also caring as well. Yes, definitely. She's still got that down to earth aspect to her. Yeah, you get you get a very broad uh, performance from Jill in this game, and it's it's one of my favorite portrayals since RE1 remake. Very strong performance here. I'm loving it. And I love the fact that there's so many files. I love the fact that we have environmental yes. storytelling. There is conflict with like you know previous games, and, and it does mess up the lore. Some of the fans who are more interested in the lore are going to be scrambling their brains over this stuff. And... But um, God, it's just it's as a, just as a reimagining, just as its own thing to not have to like, you know, if you don't stack it up against the original for comparison and you just look at it as its own version of the events, it tells a great story. You know, yes. it, it's, it's got all those Resident Evil qualities. And I will I will just say that I do put it above Remake 2. I've really enjoyed a lot of this game. I don't really want to go into the ending all too much. To leave it off at this first part, my overall impressions is that I really enjoyed the, these earlier sections of the game. Really enjoyed it. I want to thank you, Susie, for joining us on this on this podcast. It's been a it's been a special experience. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You are so knowledgeable and such an ambassador of the series. It's an honor to have you on with us. Ah, uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. This game is it's hot right now. I really like getting people's reactions to it. I really want to just talk to people about it because it's super interesting. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. On behalf of myself, and I'm sure our listeners want to say thank you so much. And thank you so much to the Crimson Head team, Oracle Dragon. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. It was fun talking. Mr. Sonny Bar, as ever, thank you so much. As always, now and forever. <laughs> and of course to to our wonderful host mr chris redfield himself to joe white thank you jay so much oh you're welcome yeah my pleasure it was really great to host the first podcast of season two and take care to all the fans we'll see you on the next episode of the crimson head elder podcast resident evil For all our podcast interviews with the developers and actors from Resident Evil and the world of survival horror, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Crimson Head Resident Evil Podcast, where you will also find our Streaming with the Stars, live playthroughs of the series with the actors themselves answering fan questions in live chat. 
And of course, our famous role reprisals with Capcom's official voice actors, reading the in-game files from Resident Evil, in character, recorded exclusively for our podcasts. You can also subscribe and download all our exclusive interviewed podcasts at our Podbean page. Or, if you prefer Apple Podcasts, just search for Resident Evil Survival Horror Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a 5-star review. It helps us grow the podcast and successfully seek out more icons of survival horror. So from me, the Oracle Dragon, and all the Crimson Head Elder team, good night and stay safe out there. I'm Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield. When I'm not surviving the horror of the Spencer Mansion, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. This is Katie O'Hagan, the voice of Mia Winters, and when I'm not babysitting temperamental bioweapons, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. My name is Richard Wall. Just think of me as a ghost from the past. This is Paula Rhodes, Evelyn in Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. I'm Reva DePala, the voice of Rebecca Chambers. Hi, my name is Allison Court. My name is Sarah Coates, the voice of Marguerite Baker, and you are listening to Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Want to come to dinner?